Hello and welcome to episode 128 of the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm Manny Emanuel. And not a minute too soon. <laughs> you, you faked me out with that with that cue on the intro. I know, I know. You're always you're always trying to get me to break. It seems like I don't know if that's intentional, but no, I feel not. like I, <laughs> I I keep I like I want to make sure that it's recording because we did have a mishap once before, and yes. so I'm I gotta I gotta wait and I will not stop. I will not get cue you to start until I see that that counter is going. Yeah, and, I think the intro to the intro to Tremors is a little bit lopped off, isn't it? I think, I think so. that was the mistake, right? I can't remember which one it is. I can't exactly remember. Uh, but anyway, uh, given the high quality of this production, uh, <laughs> I guess people should people should follow us in a variety of different spots because of how amazing this podcast is. Manny, where can they do that? They can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. They can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. Also, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating and positive review, it does increase the profile of our podcast. allows more people to find us. You can get this podcast wherever you get podcasts. And if you're on a podcast provider that does not have the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, let me know and I will try to rectify that situation. Email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Bang! Not that we need any more social media to plug, but should we plug Letterboxd here? Is that is that a thing we should... Should we tell people to join us and follow us? Oh, man, if they want. And you know what's actually funny is uh, one of our listeners does follow me on Letterboxd. Oh, yeah. yeah. Her and That's I, cool. her and I have been uh, talking a lot about movies, and uh, yeah, she, uh, I, I told her we were, we were just chatting, and oh, it's, it's uh, Shannon, by the way, shout out to Shannon. Hey, Shannon. Um, I told her I'm like, just get on Letterbox because there's a bunch of movies that she's wanting to watch, and she kind of keeps forgetting. I'm like, well, if you just go on Letterbox, you can make a watch list, and then you'll know which ones you should watch. And she's like, oh, what a great idea. And so she's done it, and she started to log her movies, and yeah. So no, yeah, I highly. I, I, this is gonna sound like a sponsored read, but you know it's not because we're not that cool. Yeah. Uh, but but Letterboxd really is like I've I've had it for probably like a year, but I only in earnest started using it like literally yesterday. <laughs> Man, <knows> this. <laughs> I went I went back through like because uh, I have all of the movies that we watched recorded in my show notes, and I went back into my notes and logged them all in Letterboxd yesterday. So I literally Im- spent like an hour and a half inputting movies and creating like my top 10 of certain years list and top five of certain years lists. And it, I was having a great time. And then I looked down at my follower count, and it's two. And one of them is on this call. So. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the other one? Chards. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I followed Wes, but he didn't follow me back. I'm not cool enough. What a dick. I know. I'm calling you out, Wes. Oh, I'm going to send him a message in the fucking group chat. <laughs> Very yeah. angry. Yeah. But uh, in short, uh, get, if you don't have Letterboxd, you should get it. If you're a big movie nerd like we are, I have to imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you're at least somewhat into movies. So uh, I highly recommend getting the getting app. And uh, when you do, follow Sam Reimer and Manny42. Yeah, please do. And uh, I will definitely follow uh, any of our listeners back as well. Likewise, because I have no friends. <laughs> I, I'm your friend. I have one friend. Yes, perfect. <laughs> and that's... You don't need any more. I'm enough, I, sh- I assure you. Manny, Manny occupies enough of my time for like six friends. I really do. <laughs> and I wouldn't have it any other way. Oh, God. Uh, I, I love the love in this episode here. I'm feeling, I'm feeling so mushy. Manny, speaking of occupying a ton of my time, uh, <laughs> it turns out, uh, I always say in the spot that you've been busy, but I really mean it this time. You uh, you have gone insane, it seems. 
Yeah, I watched quite a few movies yeah. this past week. I had a day off, and uh, I also just uh, for some reason had a nice amount of free time to be able to really knock uh, quite a few movies off of my list. And uh, so I got to see, well, I got to see 10 movies, but I'm only going to be talking about eight because I'm going to be talking about the other two tonight and in about six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> right. I read you. Okay. Um, all right. So let's start. Well, let's start with, oh, hold on. Uh, I just got to quickly look something up. Can you, the, vamp, the, can you vamp yeah, for a second? I was going to say the most difficult part about watching 10 movies in a week is deciding what order you're going to talk about them in. Because as we'll discover when we get to me, I have basically no decision in which order to talk about them in. So I'm I'm excited about that. Okay. Okay. I'm ready now. Nailed it. Thanks for saving me. Okay. So the first movie that's up, uh, if you want to hear both Sam and I's thoughts on it, you can go back to episode 75. And that is the instant classic saving private ryan now i watched this for remembrance day but i didn't watch it on remembrance day i actually watched it last friday in the theater whoa yeah it was crazy awesome to watch it on the big screen again the movie is obviously just as good as i remember it was an absolute joy to see it and for those of you wondering, Saving Private Ryan is actually my fourth favorite film of all time. Yeah, It was one of the, I think, three movies that we both had on our top 20 list. Yeah, Saving Private Ryan, The Town, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind were the only three movies we both had in our top 20 of all time. And Saving Private Ryan came in at number four for both of us. Oh, right. I forgot we had the same yeah, number. That's we, we fucking awesome. So we are, we are both big, big, big fans of this movie, obviously, as everyone who's watched it should be. Yeah, I I love the movie, but again, I'm I'm not going to get too much into it because if you'd like to hear Sam and I's thought, you can just go back to episode 75, Saving Private Ryan. Okay, next up. Uh, this is a movie I think you actually watched recently, if not last week. I can't remember because we've been kind of recording so many podcasts, but I watched Mean Girls. Oh, you know uh, who would remember that is my letterbox diary. Let's just take a peek here. <laughs> oh, for those I of you love this thing, <laughs> I forgot that we were, we were continuing to do that. Uh, Saving Private Ryan, I give a five out of five. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, Mean Girls, I watched. I have it logged last week. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I think it was. Um, yeah, like we we all we did talk about it uh, when you watched it, but you. When you brought it up that you watched it, I was like, I need to really revisit that. Plus, a podcast I listened to did an episode on Mean Girls a while ago, and I've just been kind of saving that episode for when I rewatch it. So I was like, well, now I can listen to that episode. Perfect. The, the movie is really good. There are some parts I'd kind of forgotten. They're a little cheesy. There's some jokes that don't quite land. But Any non-spoilery ones? I can't think of any off the top of my head. I just remember, I just remember like, uh, that I, I'm like, I'm not a fan of that. But Lindsay Lohan and Rachel McAdams are both astounding in this yes. movie. Yes, absolutely. And smoking hot. Um, <laughs> Prime Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, it's really, it really breaks my heart to see her in movies like this, mm -hmm. knowing what she becomes. Um, but I, I had a, I had a great time. It was very 
very entertaining. I, I do recommend this movie. And like I I think I said, I, did we talk about it before? I'm like, I think a lot of, I think a lot of women around your age really like this movie. If I remember yeah. correctly. Honestly, I, I wouldn't even just, you're correct to say that it, uh, it's mostly women, I guess, but uh, a lot of guys my age too, uh, just basically everyone in my generation, this, I think a lot of people consider like a, uh, like a seminal comedy. It's, uh, it's really, really good. And uh, yeah, in particular, basically every girl I know my age likes this movie. Yeah. I gave this a three though. Hmm, interesting. I, I gave it a four, but I, I can understand the three. Yeah. Uh, another movie, I think I, yeah, I saw it's, it's again, it's, it's as you and I do these, what we've been watching, it just sparks up the interest. I'm like, Ooh, I really want to rewatch that or again. So I decided to watch the 2015 Oscar winner spotlight. <laughs> You're just copying my list from last week. I know. I know. <laughs> awesome. And this one was like, I can't remember what made me think of it, but I, I was, this was, this is the last thing I watched yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I really want to watch, I kind of wanted to watch, like, I wanted to watch something good, something that I could kind of really sink my teeth into. And I had just about, I just about decided to finally do my Revenant rewatch. But then I, and then I noticed on the shelf right below it in the S section of my shelf, Spotlight. And I was like, oh, fuck, I want to watch Spotlight. So Spotlight jumped in and, oh, God, that movie is so good. That movie is so good. You know what uh, scene I always find chilling? And I'm going to, I guess it's not really a spoiler because Spotlight, it doesn't really feel like a movie you can really spoil. Like no. the Catholic the Catholic Church was abusing people. <laughs> you, you know this already. Yes. Um, but one of the scenes that I've always found so chilling in Spotlight is when uh, our, our old friend Rachel McAdams uh, goes to the door of a uh, priest that she suspects to be a pedophile. Yes. And she like confronts him and she expects it to be this big confrontation that a reporter's at his door with a microphone asking if he if he ever touched any kids and he he's just he has no problem with it he's like oh yeah sure i fooled around a little bit but you know i never i never raped anyone and she's just like so taken aback she's like so you're just gonna you're just gonna admit this to a reporter like it's just so not an issue in this man's head it's it i've always found that so disturbing for some reason Mm -hmm. and that scene always sticks with me yeah, the the other one that always sticks with me as well is the one reporter who realizes that there's one of the priests on the list that lives just around the corner from his house. Yeah, and, and then he uh, he posts a note on his fridge like stay away from this address and anybody who's in it. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, chilling. Yeah. It's an absolutely brilliant film. Uh it does tell the true story of how the Boston Globe investigated the allegations of uh, priests molesting children and, and and actually mostly boys from from most of the most of the stories about kind of I guess boys being mm. raped and molested. Um, it is an absolutely fantastic film that was worthy of its Oscar win. I'd have to double check the other films it beat out. I know it beat out Twelve Years. I think it beat out Twelve Years a Slave. No, Twelve Years a Slave won its year, didn't it? No. 12 Years a Slave is not a Best Picture winner. Well, I stand corrected then. Hold on. I'll I'll get it for you. Okay. So the 2016 Oscars, I guess, is what you want to be looking at. Yeah, sure. Tell me the other movies that beat out, because I think there was one that 
I really felt oh the Revenant. It beat out the Revenant. Oh yeah, that was the one that was expected to uh, expected to win that year, right? Yeah, maybe you but, are, I think maybe you are right. The Twelve Years a Slave is the best picture winner. Sorry, I'm having a tough time tracking this down. Give me one second. Eighty-eight. There we go. Okay, let's see. Yeah, uh, Spotlight beat out The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, and Room. Okay, the only films that I could I could honestly and tw- sorry, Twelve Years a Slave did win in two thousand thirteen. Okay, two thousand thirteen. Yeah, so the 86th. All right. So Spotlight. The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn. No, keep going. Mad Max. Yes. Mad Max, Revenant, and Martian are the only ones I would honestly have a serious consideration for Best Picture of the Year over Spotlight. And then Room was the last one. No. Uh, I I really like basically everything that that, – was nominated that year. I think that was the first year I was watching all the Best Picture nominees. I still haven't seen Brooklyn. Uh, Bro- Brooklyn's fine. It, for If you're into that sort of genre of, of like romance, it almost feels sort of like Jane Austen style. Mm-hmm. Like if, if if you're into that, you know, it's, it's perfectly fine. It's not really my cup of tea. Um, Room, I remember just being a movie that affected me like crazy. I don't remember th- ever thinking it was going to be a front runner for Best Picture or anything, but I remember Room really affected me after. No, I don't. I don't think Room is a Best Picture. I honestly don't think that Room is a Best Picture nominee. I think it's carried by a powerhouse performance, mm-hmm. with an, yeah. with another great performance by Jacob Tremblay. But indeed, the, I, I, as the movie itself, I just don't feel it's a it's a Best Picture. Yeah, but whatever. they're. they're- there are at least three this year that I've been meaning to that I've probably seen once. I, actually, that's a lie. I think The Martian and Mad Max and Bridge of Spies. I've each I've, I've seen maybe twice or three times each, and I've, it's been a few years now, and I've been meaning to rewatch Bridge of Spies. I always complain about to you because it <laughs> it was almost so good. It was almost so good, and then the ending is just not not that good. Fair enough. It's a problem, but anyway. Uh. So I, I I mismarked Spotlight on my letterbox. It says I gave it a four, but it's a five. Oh, okay. I uh, I did, in fact, give it a four, if you recall, which mm-hmm. uh, I, I think what brought it down a mark for me was just the rewatchability, like, as opposed to those other movies where I'm, like, dying to rewatch them, especially Mad Max, which just feels like a, like a super easily rewatchable movie. Spotlight is, like, as far away from Mad Max as you can possibly get. <laughs> Not that that's inherently a bad thing. I just mean in, in terms of like the rewatchability. Now that I've seen Spotlight, I'm probably gonna go five years without watching it again, and I will be I'll be perfectly satisfied with that. No, I can watch Spotlight again. Yeah, I like those kind of I like those kind of movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next movie I watched, I finally knocked off another one of my girlfriend's films, and that was the 2019 uh, drama Bombshell. This movie this movie was better than I was anticipating. Now, I know that Margot Robbie and Charlize Theron both got nominations for their roles in this movie, and they are richly deserved. And I have to say that I think Margot Robbie could end up being the next Charlize. And what I mean by that is someone that is absolutely stunningly beautiful and is also an absolutely incredibly talented actress. She is really fucking good in this movie. She has two completely powerhouse scenes. And 
one of them was really unsettling to watch and the other was the kind that where you're almost crying with her she is she was completely worthy of that nomination charlie's performances is quite good it's not the kind of performance you normally see get nominated because she doesn't have any she doesn't i i can't ever recall like the big monologue scene but she has a lot of really great moments throughout the movie i i'm not i i do like the nomination but like i can see why she didn't win because mm. it's just it's not very it's not very flashy and doesn't have those moments but it's really strong throughout nicole kidman's the other kind of co-lead in this movie and she's not very good <laughs> that's um, too bad john lithgow who is in this movie in massive fat suit and makeup playing uh roger ailes do you know what this movie's about yeah um it, it's following me uh fox news like a sex abuse uh, scandal yeah by the guy that ran fox news roger ailes yeah yeah and... i have heard this he he's basically like Harvey Weinstein. Mm -hmm. he is no, a, I've uh, I've I've watched a decent amount of uh, Daily Show in my day, so I'm I'm well acquainted with Mr. Roger Ailes. Yeah, the the movie is really really good. It is on Prime right now. If anybody's looking for a really great movie with some incredible performances from two of our finest working actresses right now, I really recommend Bombshell. I gave it a four out of five. Beautiful. Next up, you know what? Let's do it in this, so we'll do it in themes. I watched one of my all-time favorite movies. It didn't crack my top 20, but it was high on the list in one of the last cuts to make, and that's the 1997 sci-fi movie, Contact. This is starring Jodie Foster and Michael McConaughey. It's the movie basically centers around what happens when aliens contact us. This is not an alien invasion movie. This is along the same lines of sci-fi that you and I like, Sam, something like Arrival. Mm -hmm. It's more about the science behind the... Uh, uh, it's more about the science of what happens if we are contacted by aliens instead of the actual aliens themselves. Now, this movie is very problematic. It has a lot of plot holes. It has some not very good chemistry between Jodie Foster and Michael McConaughey. Jodie Foster makes it believable. You, you, you've said Michael McConaughey twice now. Oh, well, I don't know why I'm saying Michael McConaughey. Yeah. It's Matt McConaughey. Yeah. Uh, this movie is really enjoyable, and it has that same distinction that you and I have mentioned before. This is, this is a, a sci-fi movie, not... Uh, sorry, this is a science fiction movie, not a sci-fi movie. This movie is more about the science behind the things, about thinking of the ideas, what we do in that, instead of it being a, like an action-y sci-fi movie. You know, like a, a good sci-fi movie would be like Men in Black, where this is science fiction. More, more similar to, like I said, like Arrival. Jodie Foster is obviously, as always, really good in this movie. Uh, Matthew McConaughey is he's fine. Uh, but Tom Skerritt... And uh, William Fickner uh, also really stand out in this movie. Sam, you haven't seen Contact, have you? No, I haven't. You were bugging me too, and unfortunately, I missed it when we were doing what was it, ninety seven? Ninety seven, yeah. Yeah, I missed it, unfortunately. Yeah, no worries. Uh, this is a movie that is on my list for us to review one day. Hmm. 
so yeah, I, I really like this movie. Uh, it's a four out of five for me. Okay. And so that leaves me with three movies left to talk about. And they all have something in common. And that's, they're all from the year 1995. Uh, yeah, of course, you're going back into your 95 movies already. Yes. Getting a head start over me. Getting a big head start because I have a long list of movies that I want to watch for 1995. And I got to get going. <laughs> as our... As our 1995 year in review episodes are getting closer, we're about two months away, so still lots of time, and I'm saving the big ones for when we actually review them, but I'm getting rid of some of the ones I haven't seen, and some of the more just kind of entertaining ones out of the way, so let's start there. I rewatched the action comedy crime movie Bad Boys. Nice. Which you haven't seen, Sam. Correct. But we uh, we have talked about it many a time with Mr. Michael Bay making yes. a, a couple appearances on the podcast. Yes, this is Michael Bay's feature film debut. Mm -hmm. And I th You're but you do you like Will Smith? I do, yeah, I do like. Okay, then th this should be on your list to watch. I'd say uh, in my life, I mean, I've always kind of liked Will Smith. I watched a little bit of Fresh Prince, uh, well after it was off air. I liked some of his actiony roles uh, in the two thousands, in particular, like I Robot and uh, oh, what was that? Uh, like I am Legend. Vamp I am Legend. Thank you. Yeah, I liked liked both of those, even though I Robot is uh, probably lower quality than than i would like to remember I but like i like me some i like me some will smith uh michael bay i have gone in my life from loving when i was a 10 year old watching the transformers movies uh to having severe disdain for to sort of having a uh, a, a small bit of respect for making the movie that he wants to make so uh, currently i'm i'm sort of uh lukewarm kind of on the fence about michael bay i guess you could say He's made some real trash, and he's made some decent movies. Out of his, I think we've already done this, but out of his filmography, okay, you've seen almost all of the Transformer films, if I'm not. Four of five. Four of five. Okay. And sadly, you had to watch Pearl Harbor. Yep, had to watch Pearl Harbor. That you sucks. Watched, you watched The Rock. Watched The Rock. You've seen Armageddon. Yep. Have you seen The Island? Yep, seen The Island. I like The Island, actually. Me too. Pain and Gain. Uh, I watched part of it when I was in Germany, actually. So I actually, I, I watched it and didn't understand a lot of what they were saying. <laughs> Fair enough. And then we have Bad Boys and Bad Boys 2. Haven't seen any of the Bad Boys movies. And you haven't seen 13 Hours. Nope. And I think the only other one missing is his last one, Six Underground. Which I also haven't seen. Man, you can, uh, you can really, we, maybe we've just been talking about Michael Bay a lot on the podcast, but you can really pull those out of nowhere, hey? Mm, well, I could, well, his filmography isn't exclusively that long. And yeah. I've always had a respect for his ability to shoot action. And <clears throat> Michael Bay used to be one of my favorite directors. Yeah. Well, yeah. until probably, until probably Pearl Harbor, right? Pearl Harbor was a hard, hard one to watch. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I've heard it. I've heard it described as uh, like Titanic, but we win at the end. 
I can't even call it that because I think Titanic is a brilliant film. Pearl, it is. Pearl Harbor was it was hard for us to find something to like. Yeah, although I will just say, I mean, I can't remember what episode Pearl Harbor was, but we always have such a good time shitting on these movies. We always have such a good time talking shit about bad movies, and Pearl Harbor fits that bill. Yeah. Just but atrocious. I, but I guess we should circle back to the movie I was talking about, Bad Boys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I kind of forgot how great Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are on screen together they have this amazing chemistry together and watching them riff with one another they easily elevate this movie if it wasn't for the chemistry between these two this movie would be nowhere near as enjoyable as it is Taya leone not that great and makes obviously really poor decisions throughout the movie which you know, add to the conflict and stuff like that. And as in any Michael Bay movie, there are massive plot holes and things that make zero sense. But the action is fun. It's really well done for such an incredibly low budget, which I know sounds weird considering we're talking about Michael Bay, but we have to remember this was his first film. The budget for this movie was only $19 million. Yeah, peanuts to compared to what he's working with. Yes. Like hundreds of millions for every Transformers movie. But Sam, I think I think this is the movie that you would I think this is the kind of movie you'd have a lot of fun with. Whether or not it would make your top ten of that year, I don't know. But I think you would have a lot of fun watching this movie. Especially oh. like especially if you like Will Smith, because the the scenes where they just basically point the camera at Will Smith and Martin Lawrence and they basically just said, Do what you want. Like it's full. There's numerous times that there's full on improv in this movie and that it's the best parts of the movie. Hmm. No, I mean, I think from everything I've heard about bad boys, even with my preconceived notions about Michael Bay, I'm pretty sure that I would at least like this movie uh, and, it, and find some, some sort of way to have fun with it because that's basically what it sounds like to me is, is just a good bit of actiony buddy cop fun. Yes. And I am not opposed to that even in the slightest. Yes. So I, I I would definitely recommend Bad Boys. Now, maybe this just hit the nostalgia button for me, or maybe I was, it just hit me in the right mood. But I gave Bad Boys a four out of five because <laughs> I had a lot of fun. It's in, I'm telling you right now, full on, the only reason this gets a four out of five is all of the scenes with Martin and Will. That's it. The action is adequate. Tail Leone is actually kind of annoying. The story, the plot, no sense whatsoever. But Will Smith and Martin Lawrence's chemistry and their scenes together, I was laughing constantly. I forgot how funny this movie is. I had a great time. Bad Boys, 4 out of 5, ton of fun. Next up, I'm, kind of, I'm trying to rip through them since I have so many. And I'm actually, You've got some good movies this week, though. You... I, you you really hit some hit some strong ones. It, unless there's some weak ones on the way, I think this is a strong week for movies for you. No, I have no weak ones. I'm, make, I'm making up for last week where I had to watch like Billy Madison and yeah. 
fuck the other ones i can't remember I, I think that was last week i can't remember yeah it definitely was can i just say that as i was inputting all my movies into letterboxd i was like fuck i am so lenient on rating movies i just i uh i don't know whether it's lenient or i just refuse to watch movies that i don't think i'm gonna like yes but uh, but i it's maybe a combination of the two but i input something like 200 ratings into letterboxd yesterday i maybe had like five or six twos i didn't have a single one yes it's because I just I just do not want to watch movies I don't think I'm gonna like. I, I I'm 100% on board. I have I have limited free time, says the guy who watched 10 movies in a week, and <laughs> I'm not willing. I'm not willing to really risk watching something shitty when I could. I have a lot of really good movies that I still haven't watched, and so, <laughs> like, when movie theaters were open and I would go sit in the movie theater with two of my besties, T-Bone and Mushhead, and a trailer would come up for a movie. And it was appalling to me as I'd be watching this trailer going, that looks like a ch like a piece of shit. And the two of them are giggling madly. And they're like, we're going to go see that. I'm like, no, we're fucking not. We are not going to go fucking see those movies because they look like fucking trash. I'm not willing to go see a shitty movie. Yeah, well, this this narrative that I'm about to say is less relevant in the midst of the COVID pandemic, but it really is the case that like when movie tickets cost an arm and a leg now, and once you get popcorn, treats, and and scene points and digital rental, like going out to the movies is a fucking event. Like you you need to really make that money worthwhile, in my opinion, especially like like. We do like I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for you, but I don't make a ton of money. So I am going to when I am going to go to the movies, I am going to spend that time wisely, spend that money wisely and actually pay to see something that's going to be good. I very rarely, even before the covid pandemic, would I go to the movies and just be like, yeah, whatever, this shitty action movies and theaters. I'll just I'll just go check it out just for fun. Like, no, I want to go watch something I'm going to like almost certainly. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, there is a movie in the theaters right now that has me intrigued. It's called um, Let Him Go. Mm. It's uh, kind of a I, – I happened across the trailer. I really only avoid trailers of movies that I know I want to see. Otherwise, I kind of use trailers to get an idea if it's something that I would like to see. And so I saw, oh, a Kevin Costner film. I'll watch the trailer. And – it stars Kevin Costner and Diane Lane, and I won't lie, it looks really good. And hmm. I'm very tempted to go see it. So we'll see if I crack. I just it's the free time, but it it it, it has a 64 Metascore, so that's around the range that I will probably enjoy it. And like I said, it's got Kevin Costner, who has a special place in my heart. I like a lot of his movies, so. Yeah. Are you know. are you still going to the theater a decent amount these days? No, no, I I don't. I, I haven't I haven't been since Tenet. Um, I would I would like to go more. Like I went and saw Saving Private Ryan in the theater. Right. And I've been tempted because I miss going to the theater. I'm like maybe I'll just go see Tenet again. I'm yeah. I'm kind of hoping that something will come that will interest me enough to go. The Paramount Theater is showing older films, but not at the ones they're showing don't completely interest me. Like I think Elf is coming up soon. I might go see that. It's one you of the, like Elf, right? Even though you're not a Will Ferrell guy. Yeah, it's it's one of the few times that Will Ferrell's 
acting benefits the actual story. Mm -hmm. And that inflection on acting, I'm guess is even though it's unintentional, I imagine kind of works. Well, I was just, <laughs> not because he's not really acting. No, well he he is like he's obviously mm -hmm. acting. I, I I didn't mean to disparage the actual skill. Like I'm not disparaging his ability as an actor. I don't think that Will Ferrell's a bad actor. No, like. To me, with obvious exceptions, Adam Sandler is a bad actor. Yes. With obvious with the, exceptions. With the exception of basically everything he's been nominated for a Golden Globe for. Pretty much. But They're, not an Oscar. But yeah. Which is so sad. You, I, I know I ask you, you still haven't seen Uncut Gems, have you? No, I haven't. And I know the other one that he was nominated for, uh, Punch Drunk Love, yeah. uh, back in the early 2000s. I've heard that's really good. That's Paul Thomas Anderson, I think. Yeah, I, I need to that. revisit that. I haven't seen it since it came out. But yeah. Um, I can't even remember what the point I was trying to get across with this. I don't know. We were talking about uh, Adam Sandler, actor Will Ferrell, Elf, Paramount Theater. Oh yeah, whatever. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so let's move on. So Bad Boys, definitely recommend it. Yeah, we're just talking in circles. Yeah. Next up, I decided to watch a movie I'd never seen before. Actually, the last two are ones I'd never seen before. Okay. So I decided to watch the Clint Eastwood movie, The Bridges of Madison County. This is a I knew it was a romance. I know it was based off of a book. And I'd heard that it's kind of like a romance for older people. And considering I'm now an older person, I figured, "Hey, let's check this out." You're not Clint Eastwood old. No. But I don't know how old he was in 1995 so technically this would have been probably 1994 when he filmed it hasn't hasn't clint eastwood just always been 80 it almost looks like it does that's it? what it feels like to me i feel like every movie i've ever seen him and i'm like oh he's still really old even though this is the 70s oh let's see so in 94 he would have been 64 oh wow 64 i'm gonna tell you right now he looked fucking good in 64 because <laughs> he has a couple shirtless scenes in here and that boy was working out. Is he born in like 1930 30, then? 1930. Yeah, because yep. he's 90, right? Yeah. Oh my God. Good for him. Uh, so this movie stars Meryl Streep and Clint Eastwood. And it's about a photographer who has come to take pictures of this bridge in Madison County. Is that where they call it that? Yeah. Oh, and cool. he meets this housewife played by Meryl Streep whose husband and children are away for four days and they have this incredibly quick, deep, fiery romance over the course of these four days. And this movie, it's a slow burn. It is another obviously astounding performance from Meryl Streep. She obviously was nominated. <laughs> no surprises there. Was obviously nominated for it, and rightfully so. But this movie's a, a slow burn, Sam, and it's definitely a romance that I'll be honest. It plays. I can see why they call this like an old person's romance. This, this really. If I watched this back in '95, I, I, I can tell you right now, I would have thought this movie was a piece of shit. As an older man, this movie really 
I, I, I don't want to say it resonates with me, but I can, I related to it a lot more. And the movie is, I've said this before, I'm just, I'm just going to say it again. It's a very slow burn, but the last, I think maybe 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes are some of the most powerful filmmaking I've seen in a while. Wow. It really, really rings home the point it's trying to get across. Not in like it's hammering over your head, but like the this romance is so deep and so heartfelt between these two actors who give really great performances. Clint's performance, not obviously not as great as Meryl. And Meryl, 100% earns her nomination here. Ugh. This isn't just like your token. Oh, no. Meryl was in a. Oh, Meryl was in a movie this year, so we got a nominator. Nope, she is giving one of her standard characters with an accent. The accent sticks through the whole movie. Uh, I think it's like an Italian accent because mm. she is Italian. It's. Oh, yeah, Sam. This movie was really beautiful, and had me on the verge of tears at the end. There's this incredibly powerful, two powerful moments at the end of this movie. I I was, I'll be honest, I was kind of a little bored early on. And I was like, oh, well, at least I'll knock this off of my 1995 list. And then as it started to kind of heat up a little bit, and it got a little bit deeper and stuff like that. I was like, okay, I'm like, I was like, I'm enjoying this. But the ending, it kind of has like three endings, kind of, but not. It's got uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King syndrome. No, because these endings are awesome. <laughs> You're not like, oh my God, another ending. It has, I'm not spoiling anything here, but I'm not spoiling anything. But the structure of this movie is that. Uh, Francesca, who is Meryl Streep, has passed away. And the reading of her will, her two children, her son and her daughter, are going through her things, and they, f they find this letter that she has written to them where she tells them about this affair she had. And so the movie is bookended by the by the children and they are they show up kind of throughout the film as well as you kind of flash back to as they're reading the letter you see I know the, why you like this movie it's how I met your mother <laughs> uh <laughs> no similar structure isn't it somewhat except except the they're they're literally learning that their mother cheated on their dad I'm I'm only I'm ha I'm half joking yeah um <laughs> But it's the kid. I can tell you this right now, the kids, and I call them kids because in the movie they're obviously adults. Yeah. Because this is well, like I, th I think she died in her eighties. Uh, they're acting really not good. <laughs> I assume it's nobody notable. Yeah, it's it, it's extremely notable and extremely apparent when you juxtapose it with when you're watching Meryl and Clint give these really great performances. Mm -hmm. Um. But like I said, it's the in all honesty, this movie is worth watching for the endings, endings, because it kind of has 
three kind of endings to it. But not, it's it's not the kind of endings like in Lord of the Rings where you're like, oh, the movie's over. Oh, it's not. It kind of has three... It has kind of three plots it needs to wrap up, and it wraps them all up. That's what I'm kind of saying. Yeah, I got you. I feel you. So, yeah, I was really astounded at how much I enjoyed this movie. So it was a, a four out of five for me as well. Yeah, beautiful. That's uh, I, I got to be honest. From your description, I'm not sure I would enjoy this movie nearly as much as you, but well, I get it. But I get it. I... This is one that I, I, I don't think that you would like, Sam. Yeah. I think in about maybe fifteen years, I think you would. All right, I'll uh, I'll set a reminder on my phone for fifteen years. Purchase in Madison County. I'm gonna say. for the what what will that be the fortieth uh, anniversary of the movie? Yes. Sure. All right. Uh, the last movie I watched was another movie from 1995 that I had heard great things about, and that's the uh, romance drama Before Sunrise. This was written and directed by Richard Linklater, who has done Days and Confused and School of Rock, and uh, a movie that I really love called Everybody Wants Some. So I was excited to watch this. Uh, it stars Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. And a lot of people have said, I've heard a lot of great things. I've heard a lot of great things, and I've heard a lot of bad things. I think this is either a movie you either love or you hate. And I fucking love this movie. This movie is right up my alley. All this movie is, Sam, is a young man and woman meet on a train in Europe and wind up spending one evening together in Vienna. And the movie is just the two, there are two strangers that happen to meet on a train. And it's just the two of them getting to know each other over the course of this one night before Ethan Hawke has to get on his plane and go back to America. Because Julie Delpy is uh, is French, she's from France. I think she, I think she's from Paris, but she's one hundred percent French. Hmm. And it's just the two of them talking, sharing their feelings, sharing their emotions, sharing their history, getting to know one another, having having some fun, and just going with this connection that they seem to have with one another as they discover their feelings for one another. It's just a movie of these two people talking and i'm a complete narcissist who has a podcast so i can listen to myself talk this movie is right up my alley i really really like this movie and this is actually part of a trilogy there's another one called before sunset and another one be called before midnight and they are inter i think they're spread every nine years they do one and I am instantly excited to watch the next two. I I think you'd like this movie, Sam. Sounds interesting. I, I it's not even remotely on my radar. No, this is this only kind of recently became on my radar because of one of the podcasts I listened to. The people on there, just one guy in particular just sings the praises of this movie over and over and over again. And so I finally mm. decided to watch it, and I was not let down. This movie was fantastic. And that's Before Sunrise, 4 out of 5 from Manuel. Beauty. And that's what I've been watching. I didn't get through them as quickly as I had hoped. Eh, whatever. People know what to expect at this point. That's true. What have you been watching? Um, well, first thing that I've been watching, uh, I know you also kind of 
uh, either glazed over this or didn't really talk about it at all. But uh, Mandalorian season uh, season two continued this week with episode two. Um, yep. I, I don't know what your opinion on the season so far has been. I thought it's been uh, more of the same, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I think it's uh, I really like the episodic nature of the Mandalorian. I, I like these sort of contained adventures that he goes on. Uh, almost feels, I know this is blasphemy when you're talking about Star Wars, but it feels almost kind of Star Trek-y. Uh, just these like small contained adventures. Am I, am I uh, correct in assessing that? Have you watched Star Trek? No, but that's just sort of my understanding of it. Huh. This is, uh, I can see the point you're trying to get across. Yeah. I agree. I'm a big fan of this movie. I find this series immensely enjoyable but also incredibly frustrating. And the reason I find it frustrating is because watching this just reminds me how good the Star Wars franchise can be instead of the bullshit movies that we get. Yeah. So I'm hoping that they see the fan response towards The Mandalorian because my understanding is that it is incredibly popular and incredibly well-received. And I'm hoping that they'll do these kind of things moving forward. I am. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, one of the things that I love about it is that it is so, it feels so unique in the Star Wars universe. It is, it's a really uh, more of a Western feel. Uh, and, and these, like I said, these self-contained adventures uh, with this offshoot, like there's very, very little fan service. And when there is fan service, it's not at the expense of story mm-hmm. uh, or at the expense of character. It's just the, these small little things uh, thrown into the background. Uh, like we talked about at the end of uh, uh, last week when we, uh, we were talking about episode one of The Mandalorian. Well, yeah. this this week's episode, obviously I liked it because it's literally just replaying aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Man, how, how creepy were those uh, those like uh, spider things that they encounter? Yeah. Oh, my God. Did not love that. Yeah. Wasn't, not, it, wasn't not, even, not even remotely a fan of that. <laughs> no, I, I had a great time. The, the, this series is a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it. It's got me hooked. I... I watch them on – they're my Sunday night viewing. After I take uh, my daughter home, I come home, make dinner, and I put on The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm enjoying it. I hope they keep going. This, uh, this particular episode, uh, I, I don't think this is too spoilery. Uh, Baby Yoda commits maybe the galaxy's cutest genocide. <laughs> <if> that, <laughs> that's, how, that's the only way I can describe that without getting into spoilers. But uh, it, it's hilarious that this, uh, this child is potentially endangering an entire species. And it's just, it's played off for laughs and it doesn't feel weird. I know. It's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a delicate balance that they handle perfectly. Yeah, exactly. I uh, I loved it, and the Baby Yoda stuff. I mean, obviously Disney's got to pay the bills, got to sell that Baby Yoda merch, but mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't feel excessive ever to me. No, it doesn't. Do you so, know? Yeah, who, I, do you know who directed this episode? Uh, was it John Favreau again? No, Peyton Reed. Peyton Reed. Peyton Reed did the Ant Man movies. Oh yeah, okay, right on. Yep. Yeah. So it uh, it shows. I I liked all of that. Um. So other than the Mandalorian, I only watched two movies this week, Manny. Jesus. So. Uh, at the risk of uh, going too quickly through this. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll slow it on down. I Believe me, I got lots to say about both of these. So right. uh, I, I'm in no rush. Um, the first one that I want to talk about is one we've talked about on the show many times before, um, including episode 37, if you can recall. Um, it's made appearances on many of my lists. It was my 
favorite movie of 2018. It was my fifth favorite of the 20 teens, and it was my 16th favorite all time. Do you know what it is? No. It was eighth grade. Oh, shit, yeah. son. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't even my choice. I was hanging out with Emma, and she wanted to watch it, and I was like, you best believe I want to watch this movie. Uh, fucking love it. Oh, uh, God, for those, for those who so are For those who are unfamiliar with eighth grade, uh, the IMDb synopsis, an introverted teenage girl tries to survive the last week of her disastrous eighth grade year before leaving to start high school. Uh, it's written and directed by a guy named Bo Burnham, who uh, is somebody that I've been following the career of since I was following the career of anybody. Um, I, I started watching his YouTube videos when I was like nine or ten, and I've slowly watched him become uh, a brilliant comedian and now a fantastic filmmaker. Uh, eighth grade, it's difficult to explain exactly why it resonated with me so much uh, without actually getting into it a ton. Uh, but I think it is a movie, it, it's a coming of age movie for my generation, or not even for my generation, for the, for the current kids who are in high school or in middle school. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a coming of age story for the people who grew up on social media. Uh, there, there's a whole conversation in this movie about how uh, our, our protagonist, Kayla, was on Snapchat at like uh, grade four, grade five, something like that. So, uh, so because of that, her brain is wired differently, or she's a different generation of kid, or something like that. Um, there's so much to like about this movie. It's about uh, constructing your identity, and it's about fitting in, and it's about uh, social anxiety. There's a brilliant scene where Kayla uh, shows up to a pool party, and oh. it, it, I've I've always thought it's directed like a horror scene, like a scene out of a horror movie. There, <laughs> there's all sorts of horrific things going on. Um, there's also a gut wrenching scene. Um, that uh, is played uh, it's a game of truth or dare that's played in the backseat of a car um, which has me on the edge of my seat every time even though I know what's going to happen it's horribly uncomfortable and amazing Um, I know that a lot of people will find parts of this movie uncomfortable to watch especially because it's about a girl with uh, anxiety even though that term is never really used that's what it is Um, so I know some people will be uncomfortable with this but I think that's kind of the point that uh, Bo Burnham is trying to make uh, he's putting you in the mind space of this poor girl who's who has no idea what's happening to her body and no idea what's happening to her mind and just wants a boyfriend and just wants people to like her. Um, and you can feel the horror that she feels uh, at trying to maneuver her way through life. Uh, I, I will also just say, uh, Manny, did you have anything you want to interject with before I go further? No, please keep going. Uh, the I did also want to say um, that Josh Hamilton and... Not to be confused with the uh, former MLB MVP, uh, uh, Josh Hamilton as her dad um, is uh, so likable. He was one of the most lovable characters I've seen in a movie maybe ever. Uh, he just absolutely has her back at all times. He thinks the world of his daughter. He wants nothing but good things for her. And even though he can be a little bit of a, of a of like a, a doormat at times, he, he does kind of let her walk all over him. But he is just the most loving, caring, empathetic individual in the entire universe. And I love him. I just want to be his friend forever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the scene, Manny, you know I always come back to this, the, uh, the oh, campfire scene in the backyard no. in this movie. Uh, had me on the verge of tears yet again. I've probably seen this. This movie's only two years old. I've probably seen it, I want to say, about six times. I do own it on Blu-ray as well. Um, uh, the campfire scene has me on the verge of tears literally every time. 
uh, as this girl who just has no self-esteem left in her after everything that we've seen in the, her go through in this movie. Uh, she asks her dad, if you had a, or if or do, she asks her dad, do I make you sad? Because if I grew up and had a daughter like me, I think she would make me sad. Uh, like of course i would love her because she's my daughter but you know uh, i I would just be sad all the time and his response to her literally gets me choked up even just sitting here talking about it um eighth grade is a movie that not a lot of people saw got pretty limited release i think um it had been on my radar even before uh it was released just because and even before it hit the festival circuit just because uh my connection to bo burnham is so strong and I, i really respect him as an artist uh, but I, I watched this for the first time in theaters and was instantly hooked. I, I instantly connected with it. I fully understand this is going to be a movie that's not really for everyone, but it is sitting at an 89 Metascore. So few people saw it, but everybody who has seen it, at least for the most part, uh, really loves this movie. It, it's, uh, really touching, really funny at a lot of times. Elsie Fisher gives a fantastic performance. She was one of my uh, favorite performances of the year. Uh, back in 2018. Uh, Manny, anything you want to add about 8th grade? Go watch it. <laughs> yeah. I, I harp on this every time it comes up on the show, which is often because I love this movie. This is the type of movie that you should be paying money to go see. Uh, I, I think, uh, I mean, I bought this on Blu-ray. I saw it in theaters, I think, twice. Um, this is just, I require people to pay money to go see this movie wherever they can. I can't. I didn't watch it on Blu-ray this time. It's on one of the streaming services. I can't remember what. I think it might be Netflix, but I, I'm not totally sure. Um, but uh, it, it's the kind of movie that you should... Uh, or I, I think it's on Prime Video, actually, now that I look at it. I think it's on Prime. Um, I implore you to go see 8th Grade if it sounds like it's up your alley. Even if it doesn't sound like it's up your alley, it's, uh, it's really funny, it's really well-written, it's well-directed, and it's super low-budget, and, uh, and it just did... It, it it was way better than it had any business being. I instantly fell in love with this movie when I saw it. Uh, when I first saw Eighth Grade, it got five stars. When I saw it the time after that, it got five stars. Uh, every time thereafter, it's going to get five stars. It's no surprise. Five out of five. Uh, just for anybody that's interested in watching it, it is on Netflix right now. On mm-hmm. on Prime, you have to pay for it. Okay. But it's on Netflix right now. If anybody has not seen Eighth Grade, I implore you to watch it yeah really good movie uh the other one that i watched that is on netflix because it is a netflix original movie i continued my streak manny maybe hyping it up too much of uh of a streak of watching uh 2020 movies what the fuck yeah i know so netflix original 2020 release what did i watch manny (gasps) you watched the trial of chicago 7 i sure did my friend (laughs) yes (laughs) I knew you would be pumped about this. Yes! I, was excited, I was excited to talk to you about this. Uh, Trial of the Chicago 7, written and directed by our boy, Manny. One of our one of our boys. One of our boys, yep. A- Aaron motherfucking Sorkin. I do believe that is his legal middle name. I'm I not sure. I believe that is his legal middle yeah. name. Aaron motherfucking Sorkin uh, is a god. I don't know if you know this, but he legally has god status. Uh, he is a superb screenwriter. We've known that for years. Uh, but he also directs, uh, as far as I know, this is his uh, second directorial effort after Molly's Game. Yep. Uh, which I still haven't seen. It's on my watch list. I'm what sorry. What the fuck? It's about I, poker. I'll, I'll tell you what. After watching Trial of the Chicago 7, 
uh, Molly's Game shot right to the top of my watch list because uh, I have now seen what this man can do in the director's chair. I was blown away, Manny. Blown away at Trial of the Chicago 7. This was a story I'm unfamiliar with. Um, I, oh, really? Wow. Yeah, shockingly. Shockingly. <laughs> um, I did not know the story of the Chicago 7 or the trial. Um, I am sort of uh, a little bit aware of some of the things that go on with the Nixon administration, in particular how uh, pro-Vietnam War they were and the anti-war movement that came out of it. So this takes place in what, uh, 1969, 1968 sort of area? I think the trial's in 69. Yeah, and I got to tell you, Aaron Sorkin obviously would have started making this movie a couple years ago. Uh, What a, I hate to even frame it this way because it sounds like a positive thing, but what a perfect historical moment for this movie to come out in, right? Yep. A a movie that is so much about uh, government overreach and police brutality and uh, the optics of the media. And uh, it's, there's so many moving layers to this. Uh, the trial of the Chicago Seven, and uh, it's just a perfect moment for this for this movie to come out, and especially in the uh, in the Black Lives Matter movement, it, it just it couldn't have been planned better by Aaron Sorkin. Obviously, the horrible things that are going on on in the states, I don't want to frame them as a uh, like all the police shootings. I don't want to frame these as a positive thing, mm-hmm. except that they're enacting change, uh, or hopefully enacting change. But you get what I'm saying. Mm. Uh, Strong performances, top to bottom, Trial of the Chicago 7, uh, Eddie Redmayne, uh, Sacha Baron Cohen, John Carroll Lynch, who I know is an actor that you really like, uh, who works with Fincher a lot, uh, but I, I, I'm i only sort of peripherally aware of, uh, but he is uh, he is quickly becoming uh, one of my, uh, my favorites. Um, I shouldn't say one of my favorites, but he, he's quickly uh, climbing up on my list of, uh, of maybe some underrated uh, actors and underrated supporting actors. Let's, a, char- let's... a character actor. Yeah, there you go. One of the, one of the underrated character actors out there as all character actors are basically. Yes. Uh, shout out to esteemed character actress and fugitive from the law, Margot Martindale. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but Sasha Baron Cohen in particular, um, Oh, his, right. His accent feels like it should be distracting. And this, like, I guess Sacha Baron Cohen just does not know how to do accents that are not insanely over the top. I'm looking at you, Borat. I'm looking at you. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you probably haven't seen Talladega Nights, but oh my God, is his accent in that movie atrocious? I have. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a really over the top French accent. But this New York accent that he, that he puts on, uh, sh- it feels like it should be distracting, but it's really not. Um, I-, I really like his character, Abby, as just this revolutionary, visionary uh, orator, this guy that just can whip a crowd into a frenzy and is a, is a really interesting character, really fun guy, a guy who is just as n- is not afraid to have his face beaten in by a police baton. Uh, he's, he's a really interesting character. And one of, the, one of the funnest things about Trial of the Chicago 7 is this, uh, this, this difference between Abby and uh, Tom Hayden, who's played by Eddie Redmayne. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the difference in their philosophy, even though they're so on the same side, they, they're so anti-draft and anti-Vietnam War and anti-Nixon and uh, anti, uh, anti-police brutality, they, they're so on the same page, but their methodologies of achieving uh, peace is so vastly different. Yes. And, Again, this just feels like such a perfect moment for this movie to come out in because these are the conversations that are being had uh, all around the world, especially all around the United States right now, uh, of what the proper avenues of attack are if you want to enact change. Do you march on the streets and and cause violence and uh, and, uh, 
thrive in that sort of chaotic environment or do you uh, encourage people to go to the polls, go a traditional way? Uh, these are the sort of uh, dueling philosophies that are on display in the trial of the Chicago 7. Um, all of this has barely even scratched the surface of what there is to like about it. Obviously, it's an Aaron Sorkin script, so that's all you need to know. If you've ever listened to this podcast, Aaron Sorkin is in I'll speak for both of us, I think, one of the greatest screenwriters working in the business today. Um, there, there's very few people we would put in his league, uh, but his dialogue in particular is just so sharp, so witty, so amazing. And when you get to put him in the director's chair, too, and have him have a hand in the editing of how that dialogue is, is spoken, you just get uh, it's a recipe for deliciousness. Uh, Manny, anything else you want to touch on with Trial of the Chicago 7? Yes. <laughs> I'm sure. I loved this movie, and I'm so glad that you finally watched it, and so that we can finally. Talk. You're, you're right to say finally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, actually, our our listener who I mentioned earlier, Shannon, <clears throat> she watched this as well, and was just texting me all the time. She's like, "This is so good. This is so good. I'm so glad I watched it." Why and, was she texting you? Because we're friends. In the, in the middle of the movie. Yes, I know. Come on, Shannon. Give your head a shake. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I'm just kidding. You're allowed to text. No, you're not. <laughs> not if you're with Manny, you're not. Not if you're watching an Aaron Sorkin scripted movie. That's true. You need to be paying attention to that delicious dialogue. Yes. This movie is an absolute joy to watch. Sorkin's scripts are just a gift to the world. And I'm so glad that he's sharing it and sharing his vision with it. I had a great time with this movie. Sasha Baron Cohen is I'll I'll be shocked if he doesn't get nominated for this performance. Mm -hmm. You are right. Everyone in this movie is very strong, but he is a standout. The entire film from start to finish is a joy. And you're right. It's it's so kind of cliche to say this, but this movie is very timely. And while Sorkin obviously didn't plan or could even know what was going on with the world or what would happen in 2020 with the Black Lives Matter and the, well, the police brutality and, and all that has been happening for probably since police ever started, but the explosion of the recognition of it finally, hopefully, some change like you said hopefully change will be coming hopefully we'll see you know even the massacre of school children didn't change any of the gun laws in the states but whatever oof yeah. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> but this movie is quite timely it is an absolutely brilliant film while Aaron Sorkin's direction isn't quite as flashy and isn't quite as good as a lot of the top tier filmmakers that we like the nice thing with him is that he really allows his script and his actors to shine there isn't a lot of incredible camera movement because all you have to do to enjoy a circuit script is to put the camera on a tripod and point it at the actors and allow them to speak this gold that he can sue that he puts on on page mm -hmm. it's a just a joy to watch and it's an actor's paradise so if you want to watch something incredibly entertaining and thought-provoking and at certain times infuriating and jaw-dropping, 
you can't do much better than the trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, I'm glad you said that word infuriating. Um, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce this. Is it uh, Langella? Frank Langella? Frank Langella, yeah. Yeah, um, as Judge Julius Hoffman. Um, <laughs> I mean this as a compliment to Mr. Langella. There might not be a character I've hated more in cinema in the last couple years. Uh, I, Judge Julius Hoffman is uh, an infuriating, uh, stubborn bigot, and I hate him. I hate him so much as the antagonist. I, I, I think it's safe to say he's the antagonist of this movie, the primary one anyway. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I fucking hated him. Um, and every time people in the courtroom stood up against him, uh, it was just a, a joy, and I felt like applauding. Um, fantastic performance by Frank Langella, but in particular, great writing of this character by uh, Aaron Sorkin. The only other character that completely kind of comes to my mind when you say a character you hated that was on screen. The only one that the, the one that immediately comes up to mind um, is Doug Hutchinson's performance of Percy Whitmore in The Green Mile. Yeah. Oh, that's a great analogy, actually. Really, really good analogy. Just somebody who like the writing of the character is great and the performance is great, but you just feel in your gut this disgust for like you can't believe this is a human being in the uh, in the case of uh, the trial of the chicago seven judge julius hoffman would have been a real person yes the fact the fact that this person existed angers me and, and that he's a judge this person was elevated to a, a position of power in america and it fucking infuriates me that this person existed yes uh if that's not a, a glowing enough review of this performance i don't know what is but yeah, I just wanted to I wanted to touch on Frank Langella because I loved to hate this man. Yes, it's a it's a a very it's a it's an absolutely great performance from Frank Langella. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you watched it. I can't yeah. wait, I can't wait to see that near the top of your top ten of twenty twenty list. Yeah, it'll uh it'll be up there for sure. I think for both of us. Uh fantastic movie and that's it manny i told you i would drag out uh, what i've been watching just the touch i think <laughs> I, I did the trick uh so that's what i've been watching except for the one that we are talking about now which is the movie that we're talking about this week is the 2004 film spider-man 2 uh, released June 30th, 2004, directed by Sam Raimi, written by Alvin Sargent, based off the Stan Lee and Steve Ditko comic, starring Tobey Maguire, Kristen Dunst, James Franco, and Alfred Molina. Has a Metascore of 83. It went one for three at the Oscars, winning for Best Visual Effects and nominations in Best Sound Mixing and Best Sound Editing. Had a budget of $200 million. It grossed $373 million in the U.S. and $788 worldwide. The plot... Peter Parker is beset with troubles in his failing personal life as he battles a brilliant scientist named Dr. Otto Octavius. Samuel. This movie came out in 2004, so you would have been nine? Uh, let me do some quick math here. I would have been eight. almost eight. eight. Almost eight. Eight. All right. Yeah. Uh, what are your spoiler-free thoughts on Spider-Man 2? Uh, this was a very important movie in my upbringing, very important movie in my childhood. Uh, I actually had, uh, Manny, I don't know if you remember PSPs, PlayStation Portables. Uh, uh kind of. Yeah, they were, they were all the rage back in like 2005, 2006. 
but uh, I only had like two discs that went in it. One of them was a video game, and the other was the movie Spider-Man 2. Uh, so this on every road trip I went on with my family, anytime we went out of town to my brother's baseball tournaments or to visit Nana and grandpa or just anywhere we went, Spider-Man two was on in the car, uh, on my PSP. Uh, so this was one of the first movies that I ever loved. Uh, it has held up surprisingly well, I think not quite as well as I would have liked just simply because of all of the fantastic superhero movies that came after it. Mm -hmm. I think it has sort of just been diminished in quality because of that. But even so to this day, I still have such fond memories watching this movie. There's so much about it that I still really like. Um, and even as the film snob that I have grown into, uh, it still uh, is near and dear to my heart and still holds up well under a critical eye. Uh, with all the stuff I talked about in the last episode when we talked about Spider-Man 1, uh, the main thing that I think I talked about there, or at least one of the things I talked about, was when you're writing a movie like this, it's important to treat your protagonist like dirt. It is important to just have them be treated like shit by everything and everyone. Uh, this movie doubles down on that a lot. Everybody hates Peter in this movie. Harry hates him for not giving him Spider-Man. MJ resents him for breaking her heart. Uh, Aunt May and Peter are both basically in poverty. Peter's failing all of his classes. He opens the movie getting fired. It feels like Peter did something to Sam Raimi in between the first and second movies because he is just treated uh, like dirt by everybody. And that's what you're supposed to do when you're writing a movie. You're supposed to uh, just put your character in the lowest position they can possibly be. Um, not only to develop empathy with the audience, but so we can see how they make decisions under pressure. And that's what develops character. So this movie does a really, really good job of that, I think. Um, I think, once again, Sam Raimi's horror movie instincts come out a lot. Uh, in particular, there's a scene in an operating room, which is spectacular, and it's directed like a horror movie. I love it. Love, 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 love that scene. Um, the movie is basically about doing the right thing, even when it's hard. Um Peter is constantly making uh, decisions in this movie that uh, are making th that are the right call, but are making his life significantly harder. And the movie constantly tests him and makes him make these decisions. And, and I've really liked it about uh, I've always liked that about this movie, how much he's tested in it and how uh, at certain points in this movie, he doesn't uh, step up to the plate and he does sort of uh, step away a little bit from the responsibility that he has. Um, Dare I say, Manny, uh, the the cardboard cutout chemistry of uh, of Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst has gotten like a baby bit better. It's it's better certainly than uh, than Spider Man One. I think I would I would stop short of calling it good, but I didn't want to crawl out of my skin when they talk to each other. So that feels like progress. Maybe that's just my uh, my childhood instincts and my childhood love of this movie coming back. But I do I do feel like that. Um, MJ still, uh, I mean, it, it's difficult to blame entirely on Sam Raimi, but it's still underwritten. She's still just a fucking liability. Uh, it's kind of whatever. Um, but the last thing I just want to say briefly before I pass it over to you, uh, Sam Raimi makes maybe the smartest decision he's made ever, and that is give J. John Jameson more screen time because he uh, he's, again, fantastic in this movie. So uh, that's basically everything I love without being able to get into spoilers. Uh, Manny, uh, what are your thoughts on Spider-Man 2? Interesting. All that and you didn't even talk about Alfred Molina. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get to Alfred Molina. You're, you're right that I, uh, that I 
uh, skipped over him, but it, it was an accident. Mm. He, he's great too. <laughs> That's an understatement in my opinion. Yeah. This movie, <laughs> in all honesty, <laughs> this movie's the only reason I really wanted to even do this trilogy. <laughs> yeah. And I was excited to revisit it. I honestly can't remember the last time I watched this movie. And so I was excited to rewatch it. And I was excited to rewatch it with a critical eye. So rewatching it, looking for things, especially after watching Spider-Man last week, I was surprised. I was nervous coming in. Wondering if it was going to hold up to what I had in my mind. And I was surprised that it mostly did. There are some things that I definitely enjoyed prior to watching this movie critically. And I'll get into that in spoilers. I will almost echo your statements of the greatest thing that Sam Raimi did was give J.K. Simmons more screen time. I actually believe the greatest thing he did was cast Alfred Molina as Dr. Otto Octavius. Okay. I truly think that his portrayal as Dr. Octopus is per easily top five superhero villains in movies, mm -hmm. hands down. It's an absolutely incredible portrayal and a, a lot of fun to watch. The chemistry between Toby and Kristen is—I'll uh, I'll give you a paper-thin improvement over the previous one. I—I—I I, I, I will. I guess I will agree with you because in in the first Spider-Man, their scenes together were cringe, cringe. Nails on a, nails on a chalkboard it was at like, times, and that was hard to watch because I don't remember it being that bad. Yeah. In here, it's better, but again. I don't understand why my memories of Kristen Dunst being a good actress have now been fucking smashed to smithereens. Because uh, you're spending so much time watching Bridges of Madison County with Meryl Streep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, her acting, uh, well, I guess we'll get into it. The, the movie was a lot of fun. There's still a lot to like about this movie, and I'm glad that it mostly held up to my memories of it. I think that's about all I want to say now. So let's get into spoilers for Spider-Man 2. Sam, take us in. So, uh, Spider-Man 2 is 16 years old. You have been warned. You have been given ample time to watch this movie. Manny and I uh, both seem to really think highly of it, so you should definitely go give it a watch if you haven't already. We're about to spoil the shit out of this movie. 3, 2, 1, go fuck yourself. All right, I'm going to mention one thing, and then I'll I'll kind of give us a little roadmap on what we should talk about, if you're okay with that. Yeah, you bet. All right, before I get into that, uh, the and I wish more films would kind of do this, but I love the opening title sequence recapping the previous Spider-Man. First note that I have, the artwork in the opening recap is awesome. I, I really like that. I, I really do like that. I completely forgot about that, and it's really <laughs> fucking good. Yeah. I completely agree. It's uh, it doesn't feel like wasted space. Like, yeah. Uh, finding something to do with the opening credits always feels like, like you can you can, I can probably count on one hand maybe the amount of opening credit sequences that I think are memorable. Like Deadpool maybe. 
Um, I, I can think of like Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, David Fincher I, films opening credits yeah, always get yeah. Me. Fincher films, okay, sure. Uh, seven. Oh, that's that's a great opening sequence. Um, but really, what else? Like this often feels like just wasted space. Mm-hmm. It it just feels like I don't know. It feels like a lot of directors don't really put in a lot of effort to the opening credits. It's like okay, the movie will start in a second. I just gotta I just gotta do what the uh, what the guilds want me to do. Yep. It's got, got to do what the unions want me to do and put all their names up on screen. It just feels like wasted space. Yep. Uh, but n- not here. I, uh, I really liked the, the opening credits. Yeah, me too. I, I, I wish more films would do this. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start with the title character and the star of the film, Tobey Maguire. I still think he's a bad actor. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You're allowed to think that. I, uh, I, They'll think I, that he is a okay Peter Parker, and he's a fucking horrible Spider-Man. Yeah, well, I, I I can see the point. Is it is it okay to say he's better? Like, I really do think he's better. Yeah. In this movie than than in Spider-Man. Like, the acting has taken a step up. Whether that trend will continue into the next movie, I guess we'll see. Dot dot dot. Yeah, he's better. Uh, <laughs> Solid poops are better than diarrhea. That's for sure. That is poetry. <laughs> Who was that? Tennyson? I think, yeah. Frost? <laughs> yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. Seuss. Um, it was Seuss. Oh, it was Seuss. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, uh, it wasn't childish enough. Not quite to be Seuss. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think Tobey Maguire is pretty clearly still just not awesome. I love the character of Peter Parker. Like I said, I love the way that he is treated and the way he is mistreated in this movie. I think that's one of the highlights is the writing of the character. But yeah, the performance uh, leaves a little something to be desired. You're right. I did enjoy the kind of opening sequence with the pizza delivery. The broom closet pratfalls make me laugh. I... That specific thing, I, I love the opening of this movie, the pizza delivery. I think it's a it's a great moment that, hey, he stole that guy's pizza. For some reason, it makes me laugh still, maybe because the first time I saw it, I was eight. But for some reason, it still makes me laugh. Yeah. Um, the moment that's always kind of bothered me of this, when he's coming out of the broom closet, wouldn't that woman have seen Spider-Man go into the broom closet? The, the receptionist is within view. And the whole bit is he's coming out because he was just changing out of his Spider-Man costume. But she would have seen Spider-Man go in, right? Possibly, or he came in through an air duct. That's what I always assumed. Perhaps. So then this janitor's closet just birthed this guy, and she's just not surprised by it at all? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. No, that's... Okay. We'll go with that. For <laughs> yeah. some reason, that's always that's always stuck out to me. Is like, she would have known. Totally. But she would have known something I th- about it. I think that the the part of the, the broom closet pratfalls as the brooms kind of the brooms and mobs keep falling out and preventing him from closing it yeah. is I can just picture a production assistant just behind the door just pushing them <laughs> towards him <laughs> constantly. And I can just picture Sam Raimi like, another one, do another one, do another one, do okay, two. Okay, you're right. You're right. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, I just I'm thinking of the behind the scenes, just somebody just off camera pushing them towards him and Toby Maguire trying to stay in characters. He's trying to do it. it. It's stupid and dumb. Always makes me laugh. Even though this opening uh, pizza delivery sequence is in the movie basically to set up Pete, uh, Peter's undependability 
and uh, and how much being Spider-Man is affecting his life, really. Can he really be blamed for not making this pizza delivery? Like, this joint is, first of all, you're a pizza joint in New York. You have, like, what, one delivery guy working at a time? Mm-hmm. And you have a guarantee that if it's not there in 30 minutes, it's free? 29. I, I'm sorry. 29. 29 minutes. I'm sorry. That sounds like a you problem. That does not sound like a Peter Parker problem. Yeah. Am I wrong? Am I wrong in thinking this that this is a, an unjust system? If I'm not mistaken, I think uh, it's called Joe's Delivery, but I think it's Mr. Aziz uh, mm-hmm. is his boss. I've always loved his delivery of the line "Go." Yeah, it's like there's multiple hills in it. So yes, go. go. <laughs> I, it's always made me laugh. It's such an incredible line delivery. I've always liked it, and I actually forgot about it until I watched it again. Yeah. <laughs> it just sounds like he's being so condescending to him. Yeah, I like it. Yes. The, the other aspect, um, I'm going to move off of Toby and into the character. I'm going to kind okay. of flip-flop between the two Ooh, uh, okay. as, we, as we talk about it. Uh, I did love – I really enjoyed that they really, again, hammer home. Just like you said, you got to treat your married character like shit. They really do hammer home some more guilt over Uncle Ben in this movie. Yep. Um, sadly, though, uh, if we move forward a little bit, the scene where Peter confesses to Aunt May his guilt over the death of Uncle Ben and that he was there and all that – in my opinion, that should have been one of the best scenes in this film, mm-hmm. and it completely falls flat on its fucking face because Tobey Maguire cannot act. Oh, really? Oh, that's true. I, I like that scene. I like the scene, but mm-hmm. he's not good in it. He's not mm-hmm. any. Th- that scene should have me in tears. I am a comic book nerd. You yeah. have someone that is talking about someone that means something to him, confessing his guilt, confessing to someone that he loves, and talking about how much this has affected him and how much it has hurt the person that he loves, these are all aspects that should have me weeping and wiping away the snot from my face. And I don't even come close. Yeah. To well, in case up. you ha- in case you haven't noticed that that isn't really this trilogy's wheelhouse. <laughs> it's not exactly uh, their their mo making you sob actual yeah, tears. But it should because yeah. that's what I'm like. I've watched Endgame six times, and it's six for six on making me cry, and not just one tear, and not even just one scene. And okay, so, the, the, to be entirely fair, and you're not wrong about anything that you've just said, uh, but this is sort of what I mean by like this movie has gotten worse over time through no fault of its own, just because all the other superhero movies are that much better now. Like the genre has really taken leaps and bounds since this movie came out. So I. Th- this may sound like making excuses for it, and maybe it is because it's a movie I hold in such high regard, but that that sort of scene is just not something that was even remotely in superhero movies. Like the uh, like, I Love You 3000 uh, from Endgame is just like, that would have been such a foreign thing in a superhero movie at that time, I feel like. Maybe that's just making excuses for a you, uh, low quality scene. You are just making excuses. Okay, to- Tobey but... Maguire is not a good actor. <laughs> okay, I-, I never said he's a good actor. Well, that's wh- that's what I'm getting across. That. That's what I'm getting across this scene. He is. This okay. scene has everything in it to elicit an emotional response from your from your viewers, and it mm-hmm. doesn't. And it has every ingredient that it should. It's this the second. This is the second film in a series, 
in what ends up only being a trilogy. They might have made more, but thankfully, thankfully they didn't, because um, eventually they got it right. Th- third time's a charm, but and not in regards to this trilogy. I make the third Spider-Man. Uh, the it's just that this that scene should have been emotional, and it it's not even about that. The movies now are better, Sam. I I've read comics that had me in tears. It's all about these. It's it's about these characters and the performance they give. And Tobey Maguire just can't do it. So yeah, he's not very good. But it, I like the scene. In this in this scene would have been this scene could have been one of my all time favorite superhero scenes easily, but it's not, and it's solely because of Tobey Maguire. It's not one of my favorite scenes in the movie. You're you're right. It had uh, more potential that it didn't uh, capitalize on. I still like it from a purely uh, character perspective. Cool. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I did not. Mm-hmm. Uh, he obviously still has no chemistry with Dunst. Uh, you did say it improved. I will give you that. But like I said, <laughs> it's it's not as bad as the first one, but it's still not even close to good. Yeah. And... I can't lay the blame on either one. I can't lay the blame on Dunst because she, I I need to, I'm going to have to revisit some of her other movies because I don't remember her being this bad of an actress. Yeah. Be careful with that. I'm not sure that's the, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. I I, (laughs) I would be nervous for you. Yeah. One of her movies, one of her more famous movies is one of my guiltiest of pleasures and that's bring it on. Oh yeah, I do. I love that movie. It's stupid and dumb, and I have a great time watching it. I think I probably saw it once when I was a kid. I don't remember basically anything about it. And her breakout role, she's really good, but she's that's you know the child actor syndrome. She's in Interview with the Vampire, and she's really mm. good in it. But I think she's like ten or twelve in it. Right. And I remember her in the Virgin Suicides, Sofia Coppola's film debut, directorial debut. I remember her. That's the, I was trying to think of the name of the movie that I that I had never seen that I knew she was in. That was it. Virgin Suicides. Yeah, I've heard. I haven't seen it since it came out, so I can't remember if I thought she was good in it. Other than that, I, I'm I just let me just take a look here if I can find anything that I thought she was good in. Uh, no, I don't know. Uh, no, uh, no. <laughs> Oh, she was actually pretty good in Eternal Sunshine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot she was – I mean, don't get me wrong. She's like my least favorite maybe of all the of all the primary cast on that movie, but she's definitely good. She's fine. Wow. Yeah, I'm looking over her resume. I'm not seeing a lot of movies where I thought she was good. This hurts my heart because I always thought she was good. Yeah, she she might just she might just not be unfortunately. Damn. Okay. Well, whatever. So chemistry between them, we both agree, not the greatest. Improved, yes. but still not at the level it should be. Somehow worse as the sum of their parts than as uh, like or what am I trying to say? Somehow worse together than apart. Yes. Like, I I don't think Tobey Maguire is great ever in this movie. I don't think Kirsten Dunst is great ever in this movie. Somehow when they're together, they're just bad. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> they're plain bad. Maybe there was some animosity between them in real life. I mean, by all accounts, Tobey Maguire's a fucking asshole. So yeah, yes. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, let's see if there's any. Let me see if I have anything 
about Maguire left. No. Okay. So I have some. So I have some notes on Spidey. Um, okay. Like I said, I don't think Tobey Maguire makes a good Spider-Man. I think he makes a decent Peter Parker, but he's not a good Spider-Man. The a scene that didn't always make me chuckle was Spider-Man having to take the elevator ride down from the building. It's uh, a good scene where he confesses that it kind of rides up in the crotch. The other gentleman who's in that scene, I don't know who that actor is, but goddamn, I give him all the props in some really great eye work and body language work. It was uh, a lot of fun. Oh, there it's Hal Sparks is his name. The legendary Hal Sparks. Legendary Hal Sparks. I'm sure he appreciates the shout out. I'm sure he does. Seeing if he's done anything. Oh, he was uh, one episode of Grey's Anatomy. And then move some move some show called Lab Rats. Never heard of it. Nope. Mm, let's see. The nope. Uh nope. Don't know any of that. Queer as folk. Doctor Doolittle Two. Oh my god, let's some see. real garbage. Oh, he was in he was in Dude Where's My Car. Have you ever seen that movie? Uh one time and I've erased it from my memory, thank God. Yeah, not very good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Hal Sparks hasn't done much, but this one scene he has is a very enjoyable scene. I think it's really well done. The yeah, I'm not I'm not seeing anything uh, worthwhile really in his uh, filmography, unfortunately. Other than this, uh, I do want to say this about while I agree that you should put your protagonist through the ringer. I don't know why I I and I'm not even kidding. I never thought about this until this rewatch. And I think it's because obviously Spider-Man is the hero. He's the, he's the title character. He's the hero. But Peter's a motherfucking homewrecker. He yeah. is actively pursuing an engaged woman. Actively. Yeah, not so cool. Yeah, it's a fucking douche move. Her fiancé, the jock, could beat the shit out of Peter Parker, anyway, probably not out of Spider-Man, but uh, you should tread tread carefully. Yeah, yeah. This, feels like feels like he could crush you with finances. Feels like he could put you in eternal poverty, even if he couldn't beat you up because you're Spider-Man. And I understand, like when it's when it's the titular character of the movie, and you have your romantic interest in it, you obviously give them obstacles to overcome to to do the love. And we've seen tons of romantic comedies where a guy wins a girl over when she has an asshole boyfriend. But I'm sorry. John Jameson didn't do anything wrong. He's not an asshole. He he's is a fucking American hero. His yeah. dad's a dick. His dad's a dick for sure. Yeah. But John Jameson, good guy, astronaut, yeah. handsome not, fella. Loves... Not to mention, you had you had the chance at MJ. You had her in the palm of your hand, yep. and you you being the mature person, the person who had been through the ringer in the first movie, came to the conclusion that you couldn't be with her. For her own safety, which is great yeah. and mature, very mature. And then you turn you turn around in the second movie and you start pursuing her again. It's one of the things that's always frustrated frustrated me about this movie is that he starts learning poetry. Like, you you don't need to try to win her over. That is so not the point. Like, because Doc Ock tells him if the way to a woman's heart is through poetry, and then he starts reading poetry. Like, you already know that you won her heart. That's not the point. The point is that she needs to remain safe. I feel like the lesson of the first movie was sort of forgotten, was it not? I agree. I agree. And then he tells, and then he tells her at the end that they can't be together again. But I mean, that lasts for all of five seconds as well. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like 
it's such a small character moment, but specifically him learning poetry just pisses me off, kind of. Because A, she's taken. B, you had your shot with her. C, you don't even need to court her. She was yours. And, mm-hmm. like, I don't, I don't know why you're trying to win her. It just it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, I'm going to... I'm going I'm going to pretty much kind of leave the action scenes to the side when I'm discussing things going forward. So I'm going to move off of Toby Maguire slash Spider-Man unless there's anything else you want to touch on outside of the action scenes. Uh, yeah, let me just take a scroll through my notes. I think we basically touched on all the main things. Um, yeah, it gets treated like shit and uh, shouldn't be pursuing MJ. Sure. Okay, I'm going to move on to Kristen Dunst. I only yeah. have two things about her. One good, one bad. One, uh, not a great performance again. I've already said nope. that. Okay. But I'm going to end on a good note. She has one scene where I think she actually is good. And it's at the party where Peter discovers that she's engaged. She has one scene and this tiny monologue where she rips into Peter for being a shitty friend. And you know why that probably is? And again, I'm going to keep running with this theory until I'm proven otherwise. It's because Tobey Maguire is an asshole in real life. So the scenes where they're supposed to be in love, the chemistry is not there. But the scene where she's allowed to be mad at him and tell him that he sucks, you bet your ass she's going to pull a good performance out of somewhere. Yeah. So That's my theory. That's my working theory. I like your theory. And yeah. it it actually it, it cut deep. Uh, I think... I think it really cut deep because as I've mentioned before on other podcasts, friendships are very important to me. Both my mm-hmm. male and my female relationships, friendships mean a lot. And so somebody calling somebody else a bad friend, I'm like, you can't do that. I'm like, friendships are really fucking important pieces of our lives. And these are the most important. These are some of the most important people in life. Sometimes friendships are more important than family or, mm-hmm. and more integral into your life. And since I feel that way, watching this scene, I was like, oh, I'm like, this is cutting deep. Yeah. And it cuts deep also because she's not wrong. Yes. Like, this is a, is a great illustration of the uh, toll that living this double life is taking on Peter. And this this relationship, which was like the the one solid thing in his life, the, the one thing that he, he was almost certain that he could count on, it is crumbling down. Because of his actions, it's exclusively because of him that she feels this way about him. So, yeah, I, I, I love this scene, uh, again, as just a another stepping stone on the journey of the character of Peter Parker. Like, uh, uh, just the, the realization of the toll that this role is taking on him. Oh, well said. I like that. Well done, mm-hmm. sir. Yeah. All right. I'm I've do- been known to say smart things every now and again. I love it. I'm done. broken I'm, clock is right twice a day. I'm done with Dunst. And MJ, I'm ready to move Done on. Done with ne- Dunst. Done? Oh, Good. yeah. All right, I'm moving on to James Franco. Okay, I hope you don't want to spend very much time on him. He's a little better. Tiny bit. Tiny. Uh, I didn't really notice when I was a kid for some reason. Harry sucks. Yeah. Harry's a piece of shit. I don't know why I didn't notice that when I was a kid. He is a terrible, terrible person and a terrible friend. Yes. And I wish him misfortune. Yes, which he will get soon enough. Yeah, he's, um, he's forced to be in Spider-Man 3. <laughs> he's, uh, yeah. I just want to say he's a little bit better in this film. Not much, yeah. but a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's, juxt- it's juxtaposed. He is actually a good friend at the surprise birthday dinner. Mm-hmm. 
where he's very supportive of Pete until the subject of Spider-Man comes up, right? He offers really good advice about MJ. It's actually, a, I, I won't go so far as touching, but it's a very heartfelt scene as a friend is explaining to another friend, dude, this chick wants you. It's yeah. obviously apparent. There's no reason you shouldn't be going for him because obviously he doesn't know that he is uh, Spider-Man. So I just, I was like, okay, he's actually, he, here's a moment of him being a good friend. And then it's all fucking downhill from there. Yeah. I, uh, I do like, again, uh, people being angry at Tobey Maguire in this movie. The, the scenes continue to pile up as good. Um, but the scene where uh, James Franco slaps him in the face and tells him what a shitty friend he is for not being on a side about Spider-Man at the gala. Love that scene. That's a really good scene. And James Franco feels, I mean, he's drunk and angry in the scene. He feels drunk and angry. Does, is it me or were those real slaps? Oh, they had to have. If they weren't scripted as real slaps, I have to imagine Franco went to Raimi and just went, you know what? I think the scene would just play a little more realistic if we slapped him for real. Yeah. It's it seemed very realistic for sure. It sure did. Yeah. And I hope he actually slapped him. Me too. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I have this animosity towards Tobey Maguire right now. The star of one of the my favorite movies of my childhood. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm done with Franco. Yep, same. Franco's finished. Ooh, done with Dunst. Franco's finished. Yeah. And um uh what's Toby? I don't know. I I have no idea. Oh. Uh, I don't got one for Tobey Maguire. Maguire met his maker. Okay. Oh, nice. Uh, next up, our boy. Oh, wait, hold on. Oh. Sorry. Magu Maguire's retired. Nice. That's the one. Okay. Roll it. Next up is our boy, J.K. Simmons. J. Jonah Jameson. J. Motherfucking Jonas Jameson. It feels uh, like he feels like a cheat code when we're doing our favorite quotes for this for these movies. He's just consistently rattling off the best lines in the movie. Yes. Yes, he is, and his opening scene had me giggling from start to finish. When he, uh, Elizabeth Banks is trying to tell him, uh, your wife lost her checkbook, yeah. and he just big smile on his face. Thanks for the good news. Yes, <laughs> he is delicious in this yeah. film. A pure ray of sunshine, even though the guy is a dick. Yeah, fantastic performance. I and we'll repeat everything we said last week. Like you could not have gotten better casting nope. for this character. Nope. We went through a few of the candidates. A couple of them I think we would have been happy with, but damn, if J.K. Simmons isn't just the most perfectly casted character in any Marvel movie ever. And you can tell he is because they brought him back. Brought him back in Homecoming? Um Far From Home? Far From Home. Far From Home. Yeah. Uh, I can't home. quite agree with that statement uh, tony stark yes yeah okay i mean the casting of a lot of marvel characters is great even uh even steve rogers is uh is up there but I i'd say robert downey jr as tony stark is uh is up there or uh casting stanley as himself yes <laughs> uh, or stanley uh, as everyone uh, let's just let's go on a little tangent here let's do it i love doing that okay i'm i'm not I'm only disputing that you have Simmons so high in the in the best casting decisions. Okay, so you're not not disputing that he's incredibly well cast. No, just I I said he was arguably the best cast in Marvel. Yes. So let's let's go through a couple, and let's see and see where we honestly think about J.K.'s rankings. I'll one hundred percent 
I honestly think it's inarguable that RDJ is number one. Yeah, I, I did not have him in mind. So uh, uh, point conceded. Okay. Okay. Uh, I do like your I do like your Chris Evans. Uh, I, I still have, as far as the casting is concerned, uh, I still have J. Jonah or J.K. Simmons above. But okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think I will put uh, Chris Hemsworth above J.K. Fuck! They really did a good job of casting the Avengers, didn't they? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Edward Norton as the Hulk. oh sorry I mean uh, Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk. I won't no not a, not above him. I will yeah, I will put Tom Hiddleston above J.K. God damn, there's some really good casting. I, I know. I just haven't really thought about this. I know yeah. that's why I I I, that's why I, I wanted I will, to go through it. I will argue that all of the people we just listed benefit from significantly more screen time and significantly more movies. Yes, totally. But yeah. but but. The uh, that argument I think works for Chris Hemsworth because why I liked him in the first Thor, second Thor he's fine. Yeah, he's, you didn't watch you didn't watch Thor one and then go oh Chris Hemsworth that is Thor like man that's exactly how I had him in my head like I I don't feel like that same visceral reaction was had am I wrong about that? No, right right off the bat at least he's really found his his way in that role hundred percent. No, you are definitely correct. Tom Hiddleston as Loki was. Yeah. Are and we... def- definitely Robert Downey Jr. Oh. Right uh, off the bat. When they cast him, before the movie was made, when they cast him, I was already tipping my cap. Yeah. And then he delivered. Yeah. He hit a fucking home run for, what, like 10 movies? Mm-hmm. And now never has to work another day in his life if he doesn't want. <laughs> are, we, are we just doing MCU or Marvel movies? I did say Marvel, so what, what am I missing? You're missing Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You're also missing Patrick Stewart as Professor, Ex- Professor Xavier. Yep. And I think, are you about to say uh, Magneto? Or is uh, with as, Mag- uh, Ian McKellen? Ian McKellen as Magneto is fine. Michael yeah. Fassbender as, as Magneto is even better. Okay. Uh, again, I, I, I'm having this conversation as somebody who has never picked up a Marvel comic yes. in my entire life. So yep. keep, keep that in mind as far as the, uh, the perfection of the casting. Yes. And that's why, like, that's why, I'm, that's why I'm, I'm picking certain ones that are actually good. Yeah. James Brolin as Thanos. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved the character of Thanos. I wasn't like overjoyed uh josh brolin by the way josh I, I thought I, james yeah. is his dad and you're messing up messing up your uh your male first names tonight i really am reason. yeah but uh yeah i i have absolutely no problem with josh brolin as thanos i loved that character but i was more so in love with exactly that with the character of thanos uh and more more so the writing of him yeah i can uh, get on board with that yeah but uh, again i i did not I do not know who Thanos was as a character in the comics, so I, I can't speak to how perfect the casting was. Okay, I only have two more. So right now, we're both on board with RDJ above. Mm-hmm. You're flexible on Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, I can get on board with Tom, okay. Tom Hiddleston. We agree that Hugh Jackman is above. I should I should keep in mind when it comes to Loki, by the way, that uh, I still haven't seen the first two Thor movies, and I'm terrible, and I'm really, really sorry. That's fine. It's all good. <laughs> and then yeah. we have Patrick Stewart as Professor Xavier. Yeah. So we possibly have four above JK. Yeah. I have two more. One, I think, is a slam dunk choice over, over JK, and okay. the other one is arguable. Let's hear it. 
Which one do you want first, the slam dunk or the argue? Uh, give me the slam dunk. It's Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool. Yep, that's correct. <laughs> okay, what's the other one? Uh, Chadwick Boseman is T'Challa. Okay, interesting. Uh, again, Black Panther is not a character I was even remotely familiar with uh, before you know before the movies came out, nailed so I, I can't speak to that. But I'm I'm okay. sure you're correct. Nailed it. He absolutely yeah. nailed it. Those are the only. But yeah, you're right, uh, Ryan. Everything I've heard from diehard fans of Deadpool, which, uh, as far as I can tell, is basically you. <laughs> uh, Ryan Reynolds was just born for the role. I was like, I could go back there and just pull out all my Deadpool comics. They're right there behind me. Yep. Even though it's DC, still not as good a casting as Ryan Reynolds' Green Lantern. That's that's up there first. And then, <laughs> did, uh, did that hurt to hear? No, because I don't give a shit. It's fucking DC. <laughs> yeah, who cares? Okay, so yeah. So that was a fun tangent. I enjoyed that. Me too. Yeah. All that being said, that is not to diminish his role because I think he's ready. Oh, wait. I have one more. Okay, go. It's Tom Holland spider-man mm, yeah we've we've talked a lot even through this trilogy even through this trilogy how good tom holland is yes. if there's one thing that we've gotten from talking about toby mcguire it's how good tom holland is yes yes <laughs> yeah i uh okay I'll, I'll concede all of those but so all those conceded that's still top 10 yeah but i i did say uh arguably i think i said arguably number one you did we'll say start. arguably number one i don't yeah. i don't think you could make an argument that he's number I, one. i will i will just leave the the point on the table that all of those characters arguably i would say they triple quadruple uh like they 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 just destroy J. Jonah Jameson in screen time yes like from the very first scene we see uh J.K. Simmons he's just electric he's absolutely electric uh so i that's the final parting argument that uh, that i would make is just uh he fell into the role and he really found himself in that role in way less screen time than almost all of those people. I will, I will, I will give you this point on it then. Okay. Because I don't like, even though, like I said, I don't think you can, you can, I don't think you can argue anybody else than RDJ at number one. I think, mm -hmm. honestly, if anybody tries to argue otherwise, then I don't really think that they know the comic book character at all. That's fine. I think you, I, I would be okay with an argument that J.K. Simmons makes the podium. That he is a okay. that he could be a medal winner. I will. <laughs> so I was just about to use this word as the douchebaggery me comes out. I'm like, I will allow that argument. You'll allow it. You'll you'll uh, you'll give me that privilege, will you, Manny? I, I really appreciate such that. A fuck, <laughs> that one's for you, Marlo. That You're one's for you. Su <laughs> such a fucking pretentious elitist, and I love it. I love, love, love it. It's what I'm here for. I have no idea why you're friends with me. <laughs> oh, man, I, I question it more every day. I'm but no, a... it's, it's a joy to have these conversations. At least I caught myself from saying it. I still said it, but at least I caught yeah. myself. The, uh, honestly, oh. I think that I genuinely think this show is at its best is when we put on our elitist hats. When we put on our film snob hats, that is when this show really flies, and we just don't give a fuck how douchey we sound. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> J.K. Simmons, opening scene, fucking rules. I was giggling from start to finish. Indeed. Fucking love the scene where they named Dr. Octopus. Yeah, oh my god. There's a little, uh, a little Doctor Strange. He goes, yeah. hey, that's pretty good. But it's and already taken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great moment. Fantastic moment. Yeah, little Easter eggs. As a, Obviously, as a comic book fan, the Easter eggs throughout the movie, little things like that, and all the Easter eggs in the MCU are just an absolute joy to see. Uh, 
Speaking of Easter eggs, sorry, yeah. uh, maybe uh, uh, somewhat related aside, but mm. the Stanley cameos have really come a long way since this trilogy, eh? Just like, a smidge. I'm, I'm fairly certain this trilogy would have started that tradition, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the, of the Stanley cameo. There must not have been a Marvel movie before this with... Uh, was he in X-Men? I'm almost positive he was. Oh, okay. Again, I would say this is somebody who hasn't even seen X-Men, so uh, I can't speak to that. But it really goes to show just how small these cameos were and then what a large role he grew into. Like, in these movies, it was like, it was an Easter egg. It was, oh, I, I think if you if you pause there for a second, Stan is the guy running away from the rubble here. Uh, but in later movies, he almost exclusively has a super funny line to say. Yes, uh, I will always and continue to always love seeing Stanley. Uh what was which oh you know what it was Captain Marvel that I'm thinking of uh with his uh with his cameo on the train. Oh yeah. that one that one got me like right after he passed when they had uh they had the Mar the old school Marvel flip logo at the beginning uh and then the Stanley cameo on the train. Man that even as somebody who was not a diehard Marvel fan growing up like that fucking got me. The one that got me was after was after he passed um, Spider Man into the Spider Verse, where he's it's just obviously just voice acting, but he's talking to Miles and he's he tells him that him and Spidey used to be friends. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just, um, so I, just, I need to I need to rewatch Into the Spider Verse. Actually, I've still only seen it once. Oh, please do. Yeah. Uh, I just double checked. Uh, Stan Lee is in the X Men film. Okay, so the X Men would have started that tradition. Yeah. Okay. Um the last I guess the oh no, sorry. Not the last. Uh last person I want to talk about is Alfred Molina. I want to sure. say I want to save the best for last. I think he is I think is he's the one that kind of mm, he kind of sets the bar for the Marvel film the Marvel movie villains. He is incredibly relatable. He's the kind of villain that's perfect where he doesn't think he's the villain because while he is doing these crimes, he's doing it because he is actually, he is honestly trying to better society. He's trying, the device he's making, he's not making it to destroy the city. He's actually making it to try to give the world and a renewable energy source. Yeah, I, I would also, I would argue that at least this iteration of Doc Ock is doing it from a place of ego as well. Yes. Like he is very embarrassed and uh, ashamed that his experiment didn't work. And he, he, his big thing, I mean, there's that scene where he's talking to, uh, <clears throat> talking to uh, the claws and he's saying, uh, there's no way I could have miscalculated. There's, there's no way. And his, his hubris is, yes. uh, is really driving him. Uh, but yeah, I agree. It, at, if you take, if you strip all that away, he really is just a guy trying to create a renewable energy source for for the world. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, he, I think he's an absolutely spectacular villain. In my in in my opinion, if he, if he's not in this movie, this movie is pretty much dog shit. Bold claim, I don't agree, but I see where you're coming from. What uh, aspects of this film outside of the ones that relate Doc Ock would are you like, oh my god, this movie is great? I already told you, I really like the character arc of Peter Parker in this movie. I think he's a really well-written character oh, in this movie. No. I, I love the writing of this movie. Oh, no, I can't agree with you there. Uh, no? No, I cannot. Nope. Okay, fair enough. I mean, you're going to have to agree to disagree on that. Um, okay. That being said, 
Doc Ock, spectacular villain. No argument with you on that one. Um, I've always, again, with this movie being so near and dear to my heart, uh, this has always been one of the greatest superhero villains of all time for me. Um, it's uh, it's difficult exactly to explain why, but uh, he, he's he's so good throughout the duration of the movie. He gives a good performance that isn't... He, we, we often talk about performances, especially in superhero movies, uh, dipping a toe into the sea of ham. This doesn't feel like that. No, it he's doesn't. Never, He's he's never mustache twirling. Nope. He uh, he he's always relatable, which which is kind of nice. I mean, I, I would almost sort of compare it to Thanos, even though I, I think Thanos is a better uh, movie villain uh, and is in a better movie um, or better couple of movies. Um, but I compare him to Thanos a because of what you said that he is a villain who is certain that he's not the villain. He's certain that what he's doing is the right thing. Um, but he also is just, he's not over the top and he's not evil and or at least in his own mind he's not evil uh he's he's not really giving like a hammy performance or anything like that he's just i don't know he's just doc ock <laughs> if we i th- i think we could put in, again if we want to go on a tangent and have a little thought process on this i think we might an unofficial i think we could it, I think he's easily top ten comic book movie comic book villains, possibly top five. So obviously for both of us, number one is Heath Ledger's The Joker. Yep, that would be one. Okay, uh, so we're going we're going DC and Marvel here. Yep, we're, or we're is talk- any superhero movie? Any superhero movie? Okay, so uh, yeah, Joker. Uh, who I will remind you did not make your list of villains when we made our list, uh, our top five several years ago. Yep. Sure didn't. Nah. <laughs> uh, Thanos has to be on there, of course. Yep. Loki. Loki. Um, Killmonger. I I could put him on that list. I would put yep. Doc. I would put Doc Ock on here. Yep. Doc Ock is on there. I would I would put Jack Nicholson's Joker on here as well. Sure, I can get on board with that. I would put. And see, and now we have to think about it. Yeah. So, now now it's a little bit of a struggle. So I got nothing. Uh, Topher Grace's Venom. Did you see Topher Grace's Venom? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> wow. I'm real. I've got to say, you know how much I love Topher Grace. I'm really nervous for next week. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's gonna. It's not gonna be pleasant. No. no I think, it's not gonna I, be very good. I think next week is gonna be pretty fun. <laughs> oh yeah, next week is gonna be a blast. I got nothing. Yeah, man, uh, it, it's difficult to come up with. Like, I, I'm, I'm sure there's one super obvious one. You already yeah. said Loki, right? Yeah, I did. Well, we could do Ian McKellen's Magneto, Michael yeah, okay. Michael Fassbender's Magneto. Yeah, I would, I would have Doc Ock above both of them. Again, I haven't really had a lot of experience with Ian McKellen's Magneto, but uh, I would even have it above Michael Fassbender's because I have seen uh, First Class and Days of Future Past. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I think that's I'm it. Drawn a blank. Yeah. So we yeah. had we had what like six or seven there. Yeah, we got. And Oc- jo- Doc Ock is arguably top five. Joker, Joker, Thanos, Doc Ock, Killmonger, Loki. Loki. Yeah. So we had we had six that we uh, that we think should 100 percent be on the list. Oh, you don't want uh, Jared Leto's Joker on there? I don't. Nope. I never saw those movies. You never saw Suicide Squad? No, I didn't want to. It seemed bad. Ah, uh, it really, really is. I don't know why I was whispering there. <laughs> have you ever? Have you watched the trailer for Suicide Squad? I think so. Probably. Uh, honestly, I'm not going to lie to you. 
I don't really want to remember it if I have. <laughs> you should watch the trailer. Yeah, is it? Oh, it, I think you. I think we've had this conversation actually. Now that I think about it, because you said it's a good trailer, right? It's a fucking fantastic trailer. Yeah, and we just talked about how we both like Will Smith. Yeah, I think I was excited for Suicide Squad uh, at first, and then the reviews started coming in, and I did not watch it. You are a better person for it. Yeah, there's there, there's benefits to not being a diehard comic book nerd. Yes. Uh, like I don't feel required to see these movies when they're supposedly really really bad. Yes. That one but, I, but I continue to do that to myself. Yep, I know you do. Okay. You're helpless. Um, so back to uh, Otto Octavius. He, we both agree that he is a great villain. We both agree that he is, because we listed off six, so he could arguably top five superhero villains on screen. Uh, movie superhero villains. Next up. I believe the term is just supervillains. Supervillains. Yeah. Next up, it only takes them one scene for them to display the incredible love and connection between him and his wife, Rosie. One scene. The chemistry between him and the actress who plays Rosie is undeniable. Something yeah, that cannot they're, be replicated. Something that cannot be replicated by the two lead actors over the course of three films. Yeah, not ideal. No. It's it's a really great scene. It really sh- it really sets up the, the love between the two of them. And then sets up the tragedy of what happens even better. And absolutely, like I said, fucking destroys the romance between Parker and MJ. Yeah, even the the character, if you forget Doc Ock for a sec, when when he's just Otto Octavius at the beginning of the movie, their little uh, conversation, their recounting of how they met uh, when they were in college, and he was trying to explain to her, I think, the theory of relativity, and she was trying to explain to him uh, some author whose name I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, or some poet whose name I don't know. Uh, that that whole story is just really cute and touching, and uh, a great bit of backstory and a great bit of setup for uh, the movie about to kill her off. Yeah. Um, the by the way, while we're in sort of this section of the movie, can I just point out um, the first scene with the fusion re- reactor, the scene where uh, Doc Ock uh, loses control mm-hmm. uh, for the first time? Um, nobody else. Uh, this is such a stupid nitpick. Nobody else is wearing goggles. Nobody else. There's all this talk about how <laughs> he has the power of the sun in his hand and he puts on these goggles because it's very bright. And everybody else in the room is not wearing any glasses. Manny, I don't know if uh, you've ever taken a science class or, uh, or have ever looked into this in any sort of capacity, uh, but looking at the sun without any sort of eye protection, uh, not very good for your eyes. I don't know if you knew that. It's, uh, you're not supposed to do that ever. So. I... <laughs> I don't know. Even even like again, this is just the kind of child that I was. Even at age eight, I was sitting there being like, they should be wearing glasses. So just like just because I hate fun, I guess I don't know. But <laughs> apparently, my yeah, my fa- I, I'm I'm really fun at parties. I promise. My favorite thing is that we when we find nitpicks in these kind of movies like that is we're upset that everybody else isn't wearing goggles, but we have no problem that an irradiated spider can turn a man into a superhero. As far as I'm concerned, that's perfectly logical. We are totally okay with that, but yeah. the fact that everybody else wasn't wearing goggles, we're like, I'll have none of that, sir. Yeah, excuse me? Who wrote this piece of garbage? Exactly. This is bullshit, Sam That Amy. That is, you know, it's funny, never thought of that until you just mentioned it. No, they're, they're standing like five feet back, and they're like, don't worry, we don't have to wear any eye protection because well, it's only the fucking sun. They are five feet back, but... Yeah. Okay. Anyway. 
I want to give a shout out to the puppeteers that controlled his arms, the tentacles. They are incredibly well. They are very articulated. Those are real, by the way. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I've seen this movie a billion times. I wasn't sure. Yep, they are. They are uh, mo- for the majority of the time. Obviously, the like the far shots when he's climbing up the wall and stuff. It's obviously him and the arms are obviously CGI. But all the mm-hmm. close up, they are they are controlled by puppeteers. They are so well articulated and presented, and I love that they are given their own type of personality. It's yeah. so incredibly well done. Yeah, they're obviously masters of their craft. Because again, I would have I've seen this movie more times than I can count, and I never knew that they were puppets. Never knew that that was real. I mean, it makes sense now that you say it. I had never even really thought about it, but yeah, they they have a a great personality to them. You're right. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is that great scene you mentioned earlier. Did you mention it earlier? Yes, you did. Um, I really enjoy that scene where he actually is talking to the tentacles when he's laying out his plan. Yeah, I I just touched on it briefly when he said there's no way I could have miscalculated, and they're sort of getting in his head or starting to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a great little scene where he's talking to himself. It is. Uh, uh, go ahead. We touched on it in the spoiler in the non spoiler section, but that fucking operating room scene, man, are you kidding me? Oh my god, that that is just. I I was giddy watching that because I I remembered that from my childhood being like one of my favorite scenes and one of the most exciting moments of the movie. Uh, still is. I was still giggling <laughs> like a schoolgirl because that scene is so well directed. It's so intense. You feel for the doctors in that room because they it's it's a, immediately obvious that they're just so fucked. They're yes. so fucked and they're all just horrified. And again, this is where Sam Raimi's horror chops come out is because the reaction shots, the screams, the desperation that you feel in that room, all of that is felt. It's a it's a fantastic scene. Awesome. Well, that's a perfect segue. Let's talk about let's 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 transition into some of the more bigger scenes in the film. So sure. I agree with you. The operating scene is one of the standouts in this film. Ha- like hands down, one of the best scenes in this movie. Exactly, All eight of them. Exactly. <laughs> exactly what you said. Sam Raimi's horror movie chops are coming here to show. It is shot exactly like a horror movie. Honestly, the only thing that's missing is some blood splatter. That's it. That's the only. That's the only difference between that scene and a horror film. That's it. He could have done everything exactly the same. Just some blood splatter makes it even worse. But there's not one drop of blood in this whole scene because it's a PG movie. No, sir. Uh, the uh, let's go. Well, f- let's just do it this. Um, Doc Ock versus Spidey at the bank. Yep. Uh, good moment. Uh, I know that a lot of people who are big fans of the Spider-Man character um, have not really liked Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man in particular because he's not quippy enough. Yes. He's not funny. Yep. But him him yelling, here's your change, as he throws the bag back at him, feels like a good line. I like that. Yeah, he's def- he is not anywhere near quippy enough to be like the real Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. But what I found amusing, again, never occurred to me until I started watching with a critical eye, it actually made me laugh that this is definitely a comic book movie. Because Doc Ock is stealing bags of gold coins. Yeah, stealing bags of gold coins, all of which are labeled with a big dollar Dollar sign. sign. (laughs) Yeah. Love that. Yes, it made me laugh. Uh, The action in this scene is is very well done. It's very well choreographed. It really kind of does show off both characters' powers and how they would fight one another. The arms are just doing incredible work. 
their the CGI has improved immensely on the Spider-Man end of things as he's jumping around the room, cl- uh, climbing the walls, shooting the webs. It's it's really well done. Yeah. Surpri- Even 16 years later, it's like night and day better from uh, from the other one, which it, was only two years prior to this. Yeah, it is, and it's funny because it, it, I, I kind of got lost in how well the action is shot that I realized that, in all honesty, that scene and that CGI in that scene is, I think it's it's better than some of the stuff we see now. Like, mm-hmm. in, like in particular, while I love the movie, that final fight scene in Black Panther is so yeah. over-the-top CGI. God, there's, there's no, not, there's not no weight. There's no weight behind, like, yeah. you know what I mean? There's no weight behind the action in it. There's no... That's always been so frustrating to me, that scene. It feel, again, you want to talk about scenes that should have felt like an emotional climax. That, just, like, that scene is so frustratingly dull mm-hmm. in that movie. Yeah. So, and a lot of it comes from that CGI. It, 100%. Because mm-hmm. we, we have, we as we uh, tangent away, we have earlier on the two fights on the waterfall. The mm-hmm. opening challenge to his thing and then the fight between Black Panther and Killmonger. Fantastic action and fight scenes. And you can feel the intensity in it because it's the actual actors doing it and actual weight behind the punches and the kicks and the things being thrown because they actually have to do it when this when it's cgi versus cgi it, ju- it just doesn't feel the same it becomes phantom menace syndrome where just like nothing is real so you can't really be invested in it yeah um okay so and and then the action outside the bank with the kidnapping of aunt may and all of that it's a well it's a really well done action scene yep and uh this is maybe the only moment in the movie that I feel like uh, Doc Ock becomes a like borders on mustache twirling, not necessarily even in his performance, but in his actions. Mm-hmm. Like him him kind of taunting Spider-Man with Aunt May and then dropping her and going, whoops. Yep. Just feels oh, like... Butterfingers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even though it gets a chuckle out of me, it starts to feel like a little bit more uh, like purely villainous rather mm-hmm. than somebody acting out of desperation but mm-hmm. okay like it's not a problem uh, not even a nitpick really just a, an observation uh the next one i guess is spidey versus doc ock which leads into the the train sequence mm-hmm. another good fight scene the train sequence is okay i always i always did like that all the people on the train wanted to protect spider-man and we're going to protect his identity. I thought they were two really cool ideas. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you there. But can we just take a minute and acknowledge that maybe the least realistic moment in this entire trilogy is hundreds of strangers on a New York subway being nice to a stranger? Can we just acknowledge that that's just the least likely thing in this entire trilogy to happen? Yes. And yeah. with it being made in 2004, it was fine. Being made now they wouldn't be able to band together to keep his identity a secret because it would have been on social media the moment that it started. Oh, yeah. All those people have cell phones in their pockets yeah. now. It would <laughs> have been all taking photos of his face. W- well, would have been taking, but like uh, uh, Facebook Live or live streaming on TikTok. I, yeah. don't, I don't know if TikTok does live streaming or not, but the moment... I mo- have no idea. I don't have TikTok. The, the moment things started looking, or the moment... Doc Ock or Spidey showed his face. People are whipping out their phones and they're live tweeting and live recording everything. So he would have been uh, discovered right away. Yeah, but people would have said his identity is fake news anyway. So, so true. 
<laughs> and then obviously, and then we have the last uh the the fight in the I don't know water warehouse is that what you would call it? Yeah, I, don't, I I just called it the warehouse in my notes. I don't really know. Yeah, uh, a a fairly decent fight scene. Uh, well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love that it's actually Doc Ock who is the hero. He's mm-hmm. actually the one that saves the day. Spider Man. Well, after endangering them, but okay. After yes, endangering, <laughs> but he's also the one that solves the problem. That's true. Spider Man literally did nothing to save that city. Yeah, but that that feels a little bit like giving Hitler credit for killing Hitler. It's just <laughs> it's like we wouldn't be here in the first place. Maybe that's a bad analogy, but you know what it's I'm saying. It's a bit of a bad analogy. Yeah. <laughs> but Hitler Hitler only kill Hitler killed himself because he had no other alternative. Yeah. I'll I'll refrain from making the bad joke which is often made here. Yes. You know <laughs> it's it's but, a, yeah. it's a nice change when you're the one making the the bad joke. Yeah, I'm the one putting my foot in foot in my mouth and saying stupid offensive shit. But yeah, it, can can I tell you just something that has maybe you can alleviate my uh, I don't know my distaste of for sure. a second. Sure. Maybe that's even the wrong word. But the uh, conclusion of Doc Ock's character arc uh, is him deciding to do the right thing. Basically, Peter telling him that we always have a choice, and you know uh, sometimes uh, you've got to let go of the thing that you want the most. That's all great, and I love this last scene. It kind of cheapens the fact that there's this inhibitor chip on the uh, on the arms that gets broken, and that that is why he's a villain, and that he no longer has a choice. It just feels like the screenplay sets up right at the beginning. He doesn't have a choice. This is who he's doomed to be because of these things attached to him. And then Peter just says, hey, you have a choice, and then everything's okay. I don't know. That kind of feels like a like a cheap way out. Am I wrong in feeling that? Not wrong. Nope. Just, I mean, if like I, I, I don't want to nitpick the rules of the universe too much, but as long as they're internally consistent, it's fine. Like, it was like you said that we're okay with a radioactive spider causing someone to have superpowers, but we're not okay with people not wearing sunglasses around the sun. You know, it's just like, but the problem is it needs to be internally consistent. So the rule has been set up, or the the idea has been set up that this chip was preventing these things from controlling him and it's gone now so they can control him and then he just decides later he's like oh you know what they're not going to control me anymore i don't really care well he feels like it feels like a reversal of the rules that we've had set up for us by the universe i can see that the reason it doesn't bother me is that they i i believe that they mention when they talk about the chip is that it prevents them from controlling it prevents them from controlling him now, whether or not they they decide if they want to be malevolent or benevolent, malevolent, 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 I have no idea. Shit. If they want to be good or malevolent, thank you. If they want to be good or bad, there you go. There's nothing saying that these tentacles, which they've said has AI, there's nothing saying that they can't they can't change their mind as well. And so, in that scene where after Peter says to him, it takes him it takes doc ock some moments to regain control and so perhaps it is a moment of clarity it is a moment of seeing what he's actually done and it does take him a bit to regain control because i think he says i'm in control a couple times where and then i think think he says listen uh, listen to me now listen to me now so it does take it does take a little bit so while you feeling that, I will never say you're wrong because the film has elicited an emotional response for you. 
that's the way that I would rationalize around or perhaps offer you that interpretation to maybe assuage some of those feelings. Yeah, I can I can definitely take some of that. And I, I think that does make some sense. And maybe that's the uh, the canon I will have in my head from now on. But it, it just has always bothered me a little bit that the whole point of his character is that he's well, I shouldn't say the whole point, but the, the initial motivation of his character is that he just flat out does not have a choice and that these things are controlling him. And then at the end, it just feels like a reversal. But I, I can get on board with your explanation. I'm and I do not discredit your feelings because it mm-hmm. is completely understandable. Uh, I only have a couple of the things I want to talk about before I wrap up here. Yeah, please. Okay, and it's just a couple. There's two kind of big homages in this film, and I don't know if you are aware of them. Uh, Nothing comes to mind when you say that. Okay, do you remember the scene? I think it's early on. I'm pretty sure it might be the first. I think it's the first Doc Octopus. Yeah, it's the first. It's when Doc Ock attacks the bank. Um, Peter Parker's running down an alley, and he rips open his shirt, and you see the Spider-Man Thing underneath okay that is an homage to the original superman movie yeah i Com- think I, I think i did know that but yeah. in, in my mind that's not like a superman thing that's a superhero thing and it's probably because i've seen this movie so many times no it's not a superhero thing it's straight yeah. out of the 1979 superman the movie movie what it's literally a shot for shot remake okay that's fine yeah complete homage and it, like i don't have a problem with it but it, that is exactly yeah. what it is I mean- it's not a ripoff if it's clearly intentional. Yeah, it I is It is clearly intentional. It is the yeah. exact type of shot. Yeah. This is another homage that I am 99% sure that you are completely unaware of. Um, do you remember it's shortly after – well, it's actually not even shortly after. It's immediately after Peter decides he is no longer Spider-Man, and they play the song Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Yes. It's a little musical montage, and it ends in a freeze frame. Which felt weird and out of place. So because I'm glad, this, I'm glad this has an explanation. Yes, it is an homage to the movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I had no idea. Yeah. It is, that, that, is, that, that song, if I'm not mistaken, won the Oscar for Best Original Song from that movie. And um, there is a montage with that in Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid with that song, which ends in a freeze frame. I, I'm not going to doubt your film knowledge on Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid for, uh, for well, for any reason. Oh, it was written <laughs> by Burt Bacharach. Okay. Um, I'm just trying to see if it if it did win, because you said, I believe, and that's usually my invitation yeah. to, uh, to research these things. It won an Oscar for Best Original Song. Yeah. For, uh, for, for that song, right? Yes, exactly. All right, yeah. there you go. Uh, and then... Sorry, one second here. Hal David and Burt Bacharach were the writers. They also won Best Original Score that year. Perfect. Oh, that's actually a good score. I wouldn't know. <laughs> all right. I have no idea. Okay, that's all I've got. I, I got to talk about everything I wanted in that film. Is there anything you want to touch on? Yeah, there was a couple other things. I mean, there was a couple of little cameos um, that we had around here. Um, oh, where is the one? Uh, we get Bruce Campbell uh of <laughs> evil dead fame uh as the snooty usher that's what he's credited as yep. snooty usher um i have not seen the evil dead movies but i know that there's a handful of people that probably would find that interesting so there it is um he also has a bit part in spider-man 3 which uh, we will get to <laughs> um he has a bit another... part in spider-man 1 as well who was he in spider-man 1 you didn't know that was bruce campbell i can't think of who he was he's the wrestling announcer he's the guy that 
calls uh, he's the guy that calls him Spider-Man. Yeah, that yeah. Yeah, he's uh he's wearing sunglasses, right? Yes. Yeah, okay, I know who you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, I totally didn't recognize that as Bruce Campbell. Um shout out to Joel McHale as as the sleazy banker. Mm-hmm. Um he uh he, I know him from Community. Uh, I've, I've anybody who listened to the show uh through isolation will know that I watched Community like in, in in an inhuman amount of time uh, <laughs> over isolation. So yeah, never watched an episode. Out. It's uh, I don't think it's up your alley, but uh, it's pretty good. It's uh, it, it, I, I really like it. Obviously uh, there was one more. Oh, I have one that is not even remotely interesting, but I needed to look it up so I could sleep at night. I recognized the garbage man who brings uh, Spider-Man's suit to. <laughs> I recognized him and I couldn't put my finger on it. He's got a bit part in Parks and Recreation. One of the least interesting side characters. He plays JJ, the owner of JJ's Diner. Again, that is not remotely interesting. I just needed it for my own peace of mind. Um, I don't know if I have really anything else. There was, there's one other thing that was bugging me. I wanted, I wanted to talk about, but uh, no, we, we can move on and maybe I can, I can go back to it if I can find it. But uh, I, as far as I know, that's it for now. Okay, there was that that actor's name uh, is Brent Briscoe, and okay. he he was in. Hold on, he was there's something. Well, he was in The Dark Knight Rises, but I don't think that's what I'm thinking of. I need to. I'm just quickly going through his, because I I can picture him, I can picture him, but I'm I'm try I I can't remember, the movie that it's from, so I'm just quickly going through it to see if I can figure out. Yeah, there was one or two other ones that I had seen, and I thought maybe I had uh, I had recognized him from something, but honestly, I don't know. He's just a, seems like he's a like a small time character actor who shows up in things from time. Time to time. Yeah, he definitely is. And sadly, looking at his filmography, I can't find the reference I'm thinking of. So I'm just gonna have to let it go. Uh, the the one that I wanted to that I was trying to think of what I wanted to say was uh, the scene with uh, MJ and Peter in the diner. Uh, just again, I'm going to nitpick this movie because that's what I do and that's what we do. But uh, so Doc Ock does not know that Peter Parker is Spider Man at this point. Are <laughs> you talking about the car throw? <laughs> I, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That, it's, it, that's, it, it's a fair assessment. It irks me that he is trying to find Peter Parker, and the first thought that he has is the best way to subdue this man is to hurl a sedan at him, which is he does not know that this person is a superhero. So he just tries to murder Peter Parker out of the gate, which seems entirely counterproductive. But, uh, yeah, of course, we know that Peter Parker's Spider-Man, and everything winds up fine. But it just... It's just always kind of been like, was his plan just to murder him and then wing it? I, I don't know. But, yeah, worth worth pointing out. Totally fair. That was the last thing. All right. So I got some trivia for you. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, when Peter flips over an oncoming car, Tobey Maguire performed the stunt himself. A stuntman also performed it, but Sam Raimi thought Maguire's looked more natural, so he used his take instead. So wait, the the one where he's on his bike and he flips out of the way of a car? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, that's cool. Yeah, good to know. Uh, if you look closely at Peter's apartment, you can see the picture he took of Mary Jane before he was bitten by a radioactive spider. It was supposed to represent the last moment of innocence in Peter's life before it changed forever. Fucking creep. Uh, Tobey Maguire's agent asked for $25 million or 10% of the gross, whichever was better, from Columbia Pictures, and he was denied. <laughs> no wonder he was so angry for the entire movie. Yes. 
Uh, Alfred Molina, who plays Dr. Octopus, actually gave names to his four mechanical tentacles. Larry, Harry, Flo, and Mo. Flo was the top right tentacle because it was operated by a female grip, and that particular tentacle was the most motherly, which removed his sunglasses and gave him sips of his drink. Aw. Yeah. That's, that's nice. It's like he's got a little dominant tentacle, too. Yeah. That is the most adorable fact I've ever heard about this movie. I did not expect that to be so wholesome. Uh, the phone number on Peter's helmet for Joe's Pizzeria is to a real New York pizza place. 212-366-1182. Evidently, they love the publicity. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, one of the posters for Mary Jane's production of The Importance of Being Earnest says, Jay Frazier is especially effective. John Frazier is the special effects director on the film. Oh. <laughs> so he had to insert that in for himself? Yeah. I love that. Um, the band Dashboard Confessional agreed to write a song for the end credits if they could have an advanced screening of the movie. The studio agreed. After watching the film, the lead singer wrote Vindicated in 10 minutes. Damn. Yeah, that sounds about right for Dashboard Confessional. The address of Joe's Pizza is given in the comics is the address of Spider-Man's ally, Doctor Strange. Ooh, two Doctor Strange references in this movie. Yes. Uh, and the first and as of 2020, the only live-action Spider-Man film to win an Oscar. Too bad. There's some good ones. Yes. I mean, not with Andrew Garfield, but there's some good ones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, I got some casting what-ifs. Yeah, let's do it. Jerry O'Connell auditioned to play John Jameson. Okay. Jerry O'Connell. Why can't I put a face to that? Uh, Jerry O'Connell. Well, Jerry O'Connell is, uh, God damn it, the fat kid in Stand By Me. I am looking at him right now. (laughs) Vern! That would have been weird casting. Maybe it's just because I know who he is now, but it just would have felt too old. I guess 16 years ago it would have been 30. Yeah, it would have been okay, but still no. Well, he, he, he played the quarterback in Jerry Maguire. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at his, uh, at his filmography right now, and that's maybe the only other thing I recognize him from. I'm not sure. Yeah, probably. I'm sure he's in other things. I just, I just don't really. Small role in Big Bang Theory. He did have his own series for a while, but I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it was a pretty big series. He had a uh, pr- Sliders? That's it. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. Only looked like looks like it had couple of seasons here and there yeah like four seasons maybe okay uh all right next up toby uh, toby mcguire's participation was in doubt at one point because he was suffering severe back pains jake gyllenhaal was lined up to play spider-man and had already begun preparation but mcguire decided to take the part after all we know how we feel about Jake Gyllenhaal on this show. Yes. We are, we are big fans. Yes. I would have loved this to happen. What an upgrade that would have been. Uh, Stan Lee originally filmed the cameo of the man who shouts, Hey, Spider-Man stole that guy's pizza. <laughs> but because of problems with the shot, it was refilmed with another actor, and Lee was given a different but heroic cameo. Aw, man. That... That makes me sad. That would have been a great Stanley. cameo. That would have been way better Stanley cameo. Ugh. Now, now I'm actually angry that that's not, it's not him saying that. That's yes. one of my favorite moments of the intro, Manny. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, Michael Chabon uh, submitted a draft screenplay which featured a younger Doc Ock becoming infatuated with Mary Jane. 
in Shaban's script, Octavius is the creator of the genetically modified spider that bites Peter Parker. Producer Avi Arid rejected the screenplay largely because he didn't like the idea of another love triangle. Yeah, pass. Yeah. Uh, and these are the people that were considered for the role of Dr. Octopus. Hmm. Let's see. What order? Okay, I'll tell you what. Let's let's go like this. I have one, two, three, four, five, six. I got six names for you. You let's say go. yes or no. Uh, yes, as in I would be interested to see what they would do. Yes. And no as in like, no thank you. Okay. Okay, first up, Sam Neill. Uh, why can't I think of Sam Neill? He, uh, uh, Dr. Grant from Jurassic Park. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, David Duchovny. No. No. Okay, now I've got four more, and these are much better. Let's go here. Let's go Chris Cooper. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought but like... only because Chris Cooper is just fucking awesome. Yes, I'm with you. <laughs> Next up, we have another person that we think is awesome. Ed Harris. Okay, well, these are these are getting into older actor territory for sure. I think even even in 2004, they would have been older than like they're they're both older than Alfred Molina, I would imagine. I don't think Chris Cooper would be older than Alfred Molina, but maybe Ed, not. Ed Harris but would be Ed close. Harris for sure. Ed Harris would be close. Hmm, it feels different and believe me, I love some Ed Harris. It, it feels like it would be different, but I would be interested. So I'm going to yeah. go yes. Robert De Niro. Ah, well, come on. It's <laughs> It's Robert De Niro. I have, have to go yes. All right, here's the last one. Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, I'm I'm intrigued, uh, but he, him in a superhero movie has been soured for me. <laughs> yes, it has. Because <laughs> Mr. Freeze, you cannot undo Mr. Freeze. No. There's no going back from that. Um, my my instinct uh, about him as an actor tells me yes. Uh, I'm gonna go no, just purely for personal reasons. I I can't unsee him as Mr. Freeze. I'm with you there. All right, that's it. Favorite that's quote. It. I've got uh, seven. Okay, let's hear him. All right. I'm going to do this one first because it's uh, long. And I really shouldn't. I, I couldn't find a way to cut this down because it's an entire scene with J- oh, Jonah God. Jameson. <laughs> okay. All right. So here we go. What are we going to call this guy? Dr. Octopus. That's crap. Science Squid. Crap. Dr. Strange. That's pretty good. But it's taken. Wait. <laughs> Wait. I got it. Dr. Octopus. But uh, I like it. Of course you do. Dr. Octopus, new villain in town, Doc Ock. Genius. What are you looking at? What are you looking for, Raze? Get out. I love the delivery, man. You're killing it. <laughs> You're doing great. Okay. Uh, next up is one from Dr. Otto Octavius. Love should never be a secret. If you keep something as complicated as love stored up inside, it could make you sick. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like uh, next up is a little exchange between a kid and Peter Parker. After the two kids uh, see Peter use his spider reflexes, how'd you do that? Uh, workout, plenty of rest, you know, eat your green vegetables. That's what my mom's always saying. I just never actually believed her. I love that line delivery from that kid. Yeah. <laughs> Good little actor. Number four is from Peter Parker. Sometimes to do what's right, we have to be steady and give up the thing we want the most, even our dreams. Hmm. 
Uh, bit of wisdom. Number five is from Dr. Uh, Octavius. I will not die a monster. Uh, number six is from Mr. Dikovich. If promises were crackers, my daughter would be fat. We didn't even talk about him at all in this movie. No. He's kind of funny. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm kind of lukewarm on him. Yep. And the last one is from Mary Jane. By the way, John has seen my show five times. Harry's seen it twice. Aunt May has seen it. My sick mother got out of bed to see it. Even my father. He came backstage to borrow cash. But my best friend, who cares so much about me, can't make 8 o'clock curtain. After all these years, he's nothing to me but an empty seat. Those are mine. All right. I uh, I have six, I think. I'm going to tell you right now, most of them are J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> um, a guy named Otto Octavius winds up with eight limbs. What are the odds? <laughs> <laughs> um, that whole You did the whole back and forth uh scene of them trying to name uh doc ock uh, i'm not going to recreate the whole thing like you but i just have dr strange hey that's pretty good but it's taken i have that um i have aunt may i believe there's a hero in all of us that keeps us honest gives us strength makes us noble and finally allows us to die with pride even though sometimes we have to be steady and give up the thing we want the most even our dreams nice i like that monologue from her uh we have J. jonah jameson again uh, I drove Spider-Man away. My God, he was a hero. I just couldn't see it. He was a a thief. He stole my suit. He stole my suit. He's a menace to the entire city. I want that wall-crawling arachnid prosecuted. I want, him, I want him strung up by his web. I want Spider-Man. Fantastic rant. I think I messed it up a couple times. That's okay. All good. Um, I have uh, just the guy at the beginning of the movie who I wish now was Stanley. Whoa, he just stole that guy's pizza. <laughs> Uh, and then the back and forth between Tobey Maguire where uh, J. Jonah Jameson is saying uh, all of Tobey Maguire's pictures are crap. And he says, I'll give you $150 for all of them. 300 That's outrageous. Done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, did you already pick your favorite? I must have missed it. No, I didn't. We'll always, we okay. always reveal our nominees and then we both pick our favorites. All right. You would think I would get that 128 <clears throat> episodes in, but apparently not. Nope. Uh, I'm actually going to go with I, I really loved uh, I Will Not Die a Monster. Mm. That's interesting. Okay, I wouldn't have picked I wouldn't have expected that as a pick, but I respect it. Um. Oh, man. What do I want to go with? This is a tough one. I don't know. Something about uh, this specific one. Of course, it's got to be J. Jonah Jameson, but I'm going to go with a guy named Otto Octavius yeah. winds up with eight limbs. What are the odds? <laughs> it's like a little fourth wall break, little wink at the camera. I like it. Awesome. Uh, favorite scene, I have four. Okay. I have uh, the uh, Doc, Doc Ock surgery when the arms attack. Mm -hmm. The naming of Dr. Octopus by J. Jonah Jameson. Doc Ock versus Spidey at the bank. And Spidey versus Doc Ock and the train sequence. Nice. What are your nominees for favorite scene, Sam? Uh, I got five. I have Doc Ock in the operating room. I have the first J. Jonah Jameson scene, which is the, him trying to name Doc Ock. Uh, we have uh, the Aunt May pep talk I just uh, said in the favorite quote section, the pep talk she gives Peter about Spider-Man. Um, we have J. Jonah Jameson briefly realizing Spider-Man is a hero before reverting to his old ways. Uh, and then we have the subway fight sequence. Okay. Uh, my... Easy pick for the win is the Doc Ock surgery where the arms attack. Yep, same as that. Uh, that is a badass standout in this movie. Awesome. 
Uh, hold on one quick second. I just got to quickly bring this up. Okay. I always forget to do this. Hold on, I gotta find. Oh, you're uh, you're you're trying to figure out the uh, the closing credits uh, questions right now, aren't you? Yeah. No. Okay, I got okay. it. I'm good to go. Uh, are there any Oscar-worthy performances in this film? Uh, no, no, there's not. I I briefly considered a couple of the great performances we talked about, in particular Alfred Molina and mm -hmm. J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, I keep calling him J. Jonah Jameson. He's J.K. Simmons, <laughs> but uh, uh, J.K. Simmons. Uh, deserved his oscar for whiplash and not a moment sooner in my opinion uh and then alfred molina certainly was very good but for me personally never branched into oscar territory he's the closest for me for oscar worthy but looking and that's what i quickly wanted to bring up was the oscars of this year uh -huh. the uh, this was actually a year that we you and i have covered and we did probably way back when hey way back when but looking at and you have seen four of the five best supporting actor nominees of this year and i don't think we could bump any of them for alfred molina what what uh was the best picture winner this year this was before crash right million dollar baby ah oh, right yeah, yeah yeah okay do you want the five supporting actor nominees to see if you think alfred molina could crack them i know morgan freeman would be one of them yep right for million dollar baby and i can't think of who else would be in there alan alda for the aviator Right, okay. Thomas Hayden Church for Sideways. Oh, that was great. That was a great one. I love we're, that. We're gonna we're gonna talk about Thomas Hayden Church next week. We are. <laughs> Jamie Foxx in Collateral. Oh fuck. And, we both love that movie. Yeah, and a movie I don't think you've even heard of. It's Clive Owen in Closer. No. No, yeah. don't know. He yeah. Sorry, uh sorry Alfred. I love your performance. We love it, but it's just no. not gonna it's not gonna not gonna crack this lineup can we can we make a pact right now to find an excuse to talk about collateral at some point i fucking love that movie uh yeah we can yeah. just put it on the docket sure let's go done <laughs> great actually i you heard it here first folks i have an idea i have an idea that we could do it would it okay. would push collateral to a movie we'd be doing pretty far down the road but it's something i want to discuss with you off air anyways yeah it's okay okay done We'll talk. All right. Any other aspects of this film that are award-worthy? Uh, I don't really think so. I think they got it right with the nominees. Uh, I did want to give a brief shout-out. Um, in the opening credit sequence, uh, the name Bill Pope pop popped up, and I uh, was very curious about who that was. Uh, for He was the cinematographer. Mm -hmm. I recognize the name for some reason. Uh, he worked a lot with... Um, Edgar Wright, he worked like he did uh, the cinematography for Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, uh, and uh, but I think Scott Pilgrim versus the World too, and he also was the cinematographer on The Matrix. So uh, yeah, just wanted to bring that up. I don't think the cinematography is uh, quite Oscar caliber. I think it's good. I mean, it's it's a perfectly good, perfectly well shot superhero movie. Uh, but yeah, I, th I think they got it right with what they nominated it for. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I could. I could probably consider some editing. Yeah, okay. Editing's fine. Uh, I never... Uh, one of the things I'm noticing just as we're talking about this, it's a uh, it's a Danny Elfman score, and I like Danny Elfman, but I've never like been in love with the scores from these movies. Not mm -hmm. that they've ever been bad for me. I've just... You would think a, a movie... A movie series like this that I had so near and dear to me in my childhood, I would like be in love with the score or something like that, but I've never really felt that way. Yep. Never really uh, stood out. What is the weak link of the film? 
Uh, it's still probably the chemistry between Peter and MJ. <laughs> it hasn't, hasn't changed. At, le- at least next week we'll probably have lots of things to choose from in this question. But uh, yeah, I think it's still Tobey Maguire and MJ. Except for that one scene where uh, where Kirsten Dunst gets to chew him out a little bit. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Was this anyone's career highlight? Uh... Uh, tough to say. Um, I I am not as familiar with Alfred Molina's filmography as you are. Uh, could it be argued? Yes, it could be argued. Mostly because of the popularity of this film and of mm-hmm. his performance. But he has been he's an incredibly gifted working actor. The he you know he was like he was in a best picture nominee he was in shock law ah yes um he, had he was a... he was he's the main antagonist in that right yeah and then just quickly looking he has <clears throat> he has a very small but important role in raiders of the lost ark which i think mm-hmm. is his uh, film debut and then but like that's obviously not his movie mm-hmm. I, I think this probably could be his career highlight. I'm just kind of quickly going through. I actually, I did hear he was really great in this, um, in this movie called Frida with Salma Hayek. Ah, uh, but I haven't. Is that about? It's about Frida Kahlo, right? Yeah, but I haven't yeah, seen it. That. Oh, he was in the Da Vinci Code. That was a pretty big movie. Uh, I, I I think judging by what we're talking about here, it feels like this is his career highlight. Yeah, I'm looking at. I'm just as I'm. Oh, I I did love him in Boogie Nights. <laughs> oh fuck! I forgot about him in Boogie Nights. That his, uh, he's the guy who, uh, they go to for uh for drugs at the end of the movie or near the end of the movie where the, he has the guy in the corner setting off firecrackers. Yeah. Right? No. Oh, you, no. You know what? I I I think this is I think this is his career highlight. Um. I guess you would also say probably it's Tobey Maguire's uh, strictly from, you know, he, he would never again helm a franchise as big as this one. Like he, uh, when I think of Tobey Maguire, and again, I grew up with these movies, so I'm biased, but when I think of Tobey Maguire, I think of Spider-Man. That's fair. And this is the best of the three. So I feel like it defaults to being his highlight. Okay. I, I'm not going to argue on that. I, I like both of those. I, I think this is Molina's career highlight, and I think it could definitely be Tobey Maguire's career highlight okay cool mvp of the film oh i don't really know uh it's tough i guess i mean you talked about alfred molina as uh as doc ock a lot more than i did but i really do think he's uh one of the one of the great superhero villains that we've seen he does an excellent job the writing of the character is great um my instinct, my initial instinct was to give it to J.K. Simmons, but he just he just isn't in these movies enough. He's he's my favorite part of these movies, but I don't think he's the MVP. The movie doesn't rest on his shoulders. So I'm going to go with Alfred Molina. Uh, as am I, hands down. Uh, it, for me, it's pretty much unquestionable. What yeah. would be this film's legacy? Uh, the best movie in a flawed trilogy. 100% it is, agree. Uh, it is. I mean, it's what you said off the bat, right? It's what's It's what makes this trilogy worth watching. Yeah. Or worth rewatching, basically. Spider-Man 1 is a good standalone superhero movie with some issues. Yep. Uh, Spider-Man 2 is a very good movie. Um, definitely worth revisiting. 
and then uh, and then there's next week. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> would you watch this movie again? Damn straight, I would. As would I. Would you recommend this movie to friends? Absolutely. Sam, your final thoughts. Uh, I'm really happy that this movie still holds up as uh, as arguably one of the great superhero movies ever made. Um, it, the genre has advanced quite a bit since this came out. I, I think there was a time when this movie was the best superhero movie ever made, but uh, or, or at least uh, in my mind, there's uh, <laughs> at least uh, a case to be made for it being my favorite. Uh, I guess I had to walk back that statement just a touch. Um, but I, I mean... I'm glad that this still holds up. I'm glad that this isn't just one from my childhood that uh, kind of gets brushed to the side. Uh, there's still so much to like. I still like the character arc of Peter Parker, even though the performance as Toby, uh, performance by Tobey Maguire leaves something to be desired, even still. Um, I think the villain of Dr. Octopus is complex and layered and not at all over the top. Honestly, more of a sign of things to come and of some of the more mature villains that we would get from the MCU later. Uh, it's just a good, fun movie with well-directed action, um, just the right amount of campiness that you would get from a superhero movie of this era. And uh, I'm really glad that uh, this is one that I glad this is one that I watched so frequently as a kid that I can rewatch uh, without hesitation. And uh, it, I'm glad it has the legacy that it has. Nice. I really enjoyed uh, the rewatch on here. Even looking through a critical eye, I had a really great time. Alfred Molina's uh, portrayal of Doc Ock is like we've said before and we've stated numerous times throughout this episode it's one of the great movie supervillains uh, of all time it's a fun movie it's really well crafted sam really enjoys the arc of peter parker i not so much but i still had a great time watching this movie and while there is stuff to nitpick it does not diminish my enjoyment of this movie and all hail jk simmons sam Indeed. your rating out of five for Spider-Man 2. Uh, eight-year-old Sam is currently screaming uh, to give this a five, but uh, I, I think it, it's firmly in four territory. It's a movie I really enjoy whenever I rewatch, uh, but it's not without its flaws. Uh, it's a four for me, easily four. It was thoroughly enjoyable, a great villain, some great scenes, a, a one incredibly well-crafted horror scene, just missing some blood splatter to take it to the next level, but uh, an incredibly fun ride. Sam. What's going on next week? Next week, I've alluded to it a couple of times, but we're going to have some fun. We are talking about the third installment in this trilogy. We're finishing off our miniseries on the Sam Raimi Spider-Man series. Manny is currently shaking his head. Uh, I am overjoyed to talk about this movie with this man. It's going to be Spider-Man 3 next week in episode 129. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be great. Yeah. Should be interesting. I haven't watched this movie since it since it was in theaters, so I, I've seen it a couple of times. It's the one that I rewatch the least when I rewatch these movies. I'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So if you'd like to follow us on Facebook, you can find us at the Sammy Manu Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can email us at Sam Manny Movie Podcast at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Just takes about 30 seconds. If you give us a five-star review and a positive review, it will increase our profile. It really helps a lot. It's a small little thing that we ask, and we greatly appreciate those of you that have done it. So that wraps it up for this week. Part two of our Spider-Man miniseries. 
for the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. I'm Manny Manuel. Spider-Man 3 was good. I just couldn't see it. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.